Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And they're like so smart and smug oh, until you put the facts in their face, and then out comes the name calling. And that's all they got, folks. They just got a loud mouth and lots of TV screens and talking heads, bubble-headed bleach blondes coming on there, telling you about all the BS New World Order as though, oh, well, it's inevitable, it's the natural course, we got to move forward towards globalism, that's the only way, that's the sensible thing. I mean, good golly, you saw Star Trek, didn't you? I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, this is the mentality. And nobody stops to say, wait a minute. You know what? We've been on this road to globalism for the last at least 50 years. The communists have been at it about 80 years with their worldwide communist revolution. We just didn't, you know, really start getting hammered by it 50 years ago or so. You know, Senator McCarthy was right. And they ridiculed him. They ruined him. But he was right. Then he still demonized his name. McCarthyism. Yeah, oh. A senator trying to root out communists inside the United States government. And he's the bad guy? How does that happen? You know. But you gotta try. But I don't suggest you waste a lot of time. Because they'll just get you angry, that's all. And and then, you know, where we're at right now, anger doesn't do you any good because there's nothing you can do about it. Because And why do I say that? Because anything you do about it, not say, but do about it, meaning bash their head in, stick a sword through their chest, you know, all those things. You do something like that, you're going to be the bad guy. You're going to be demonized, and not just you, whatever you stand for, and all the people who believe the same things you believe, you will damage them. Okay? Right now, that's where we're at. Okay? That's just the, that's just the truth. You can deny it, but it, I don't, it doesn't matter. It is the way it is. It is what it is, and that's it. For right now, we can't touch them. I mean, you can, but if the goal is to win, you don't want to do things that damage your position. And right now, in our circumstances, it does. Like I said, if we stay on the course, that's going to change. But until that day, just shine them on and move on to somebody who's got an open mind. Okay? And there are a lot of people out there on the fence, folks. Okay? They're not liberals. You might say something, you know, and they might go, what? Well, that sounds ridiculous. That sounds crazy. That doesn't make them a liberal. Because you know what? Let me, let me be honest with you, folks. The truth of the matter is insane. 
We live in an in in insane situation. I mean, when... Okay, I will refer at least a little to the last show, Condition Critical's last topic that Jay was talking about. When you've got a mayor of a major U.S. city saying ridiculous nonsense like somehow cleaning up the garbage in a homeless camp would somehow insult or incite the homeless, isn't that's just ridiculous? That's so stupid. It 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 has to be insane. Now you can be criminally insane, or just plain insane. Plain insane is when you really think that what you're saying makes sense. Okay, criminally insane is when you're saying it because you want to foment some sort of criminal activity, like. The police coming in and, oh, I don't know, killing all the homeless. Because, you know, you've incited the population into where, oh my gosh, this is terrible. We've got to do something about those nasty, horrible, terrible homeless people. You know, I, honestly, it's insane world when you have people like this in positions of power. Nobody, you know what? If you asked a hundred people out on the street, they could solve the problem without violence, without bloodshed, without any anything. They could solve the problem. If you told them, okay, look, here's the problem. What do you think we ought to do? A hundred people on the street, random. I don't care who you pick. They would come up with a better solution than the idiot mayor in Seattle. Just like in Chicago... You ask 100 people on the street, well, what do you, what do, you do about, you know, the people in Chicago killing each other at a breakneck pace? They would have a better solution than the morons running that city now. Oh, well, uh, we don't really know because it's not our fault. It's not our problem, really. Uh, it's all the states around us. What? Oh, and by the way. For, for anybody in Chicago to say, well, you know, the gun laws just aren't good enough. Oh, really? Well, oh, okay. Well, you know what Chicago did? I'll remind you. I've said it many times before, but I'll, I'll remind you again because you need to know this. Chicago actually put a complete ban on guns. A complete, absolute ban on guns. No guns. You're a private citizen, and, and you're one of the people in Chicago. You cannot own a gun. Only the police can have guns legally in Chicago. That's it. And they wrote that law and they passed it. Well, the Supreme Court said, okay, look, you can't do that. You know, the Second Amendment here is this. And, of course, the Supreme Court, I think, is wrong because they go, well, you know, uh, Second Amendment's here and the, the, the best you can do is regulate. Oh, really? I guess the Supreme Court justices never went to school, huh? Right? That must be it. Either that or they're criminals, okay, liars, all right? And that can't be, right, because they're the honored Supreme Court justices. They wouldn't just be run-of-the-mill scumbag criminals lying, would they? So it must be just a lack of education, because if they had any education, and they actually looked it up, like I did, they would find out a well-regulated militia do you know, well, maybe you don't, maybe you do, because we're, you know, 
We've all been to the public school system and dumbed down, and we think, oh, well-regulated. That means lots of regulations, right? Lots of rules, right? That's what everybody thinks now well-regulated means. Uh, well, that's not what it meant when they wrote it. Well-regulated, okay, when they wrote it, pay attention, and then read it again in context of what I'm saying, and I'll it'll make a lot more sense to you. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state or something of, along those lines, right? Okay. Now let's say, okay, lots of rules and restrictions on the militia is necessary for a free state. Does that make any sense to you? Very little. How about this, though? A well-trained and well-armed militia is necessary to the security of a free state. Hey, that makes a lot more sense. And you know why? Because that's what it meant when they wrote it. Look it up. I am not making this up, okay? And for the scumbags on the Supreme Court to act as though it means, oh, lots of rules and regulations. No, no, no. That's not what they meant. That's not what it says. And they're lying. Anyway. <sighs> you know what? Give the homeless some dumpsters, man. That's all. Just put some dumpsters there. They will clean up the trash themselves. All right? Oh, and if you don't like where they're at, you know, the camp that you've decided this is where you're all going to live now? Okay, they didn't decide that. The city decided that. Okay, fine. If you don't like that anymore, well, we don't like where they're at anymore. Well, you decided to put them there, so who do you have to blame? But you want to move them. You don't like them there. Why don't you ask the homeless? Well, where do you all think would be a good place? Because I got news for all you white bread, well-to-do, good people of wherever the heck you live. The homeless don't want to be around you any more than you want them around you. Okay, you got that? They don't desire to be around you, okay? So ask them, ask them, where would be the best, where do you think would be the best place? And they'll tell you. And then put them there. Say, okay, fine. Then that's where you can go, and we'll put some dumpsters there. Oh, for crying out loud, let's go crazy, huh? Let's go insane. Why don't we put some porta-potties there, too? Oh, my gosh. It's like, wow. Oh, where's the redneck out there going, wow, well, why we should we spend any money on them damn homeless people? Oh, really? Well, you know what? I'd rather give the, the homeless a dumpster and a porta potty rather than giving Queen Welfare B $3,000 a month check, free housing, and $500 in food stamps every month. I'd much rather pay for dumpsters and porta potties for the homeless. That's just me. Let's get on to some other stuff, though. Because, hey, the world's a big place, and there's a lot going on. Okay, how about this? Now, I'm sure you've heard about this. Hangjing shipping, going bankruptcy, bankrupt, okay? Well, let's read this. 
when the first report when uh, first reported about the imminent peril. Uh, par- paralysis of the unknown number of global supply chains and a and a potential shock in worldwide trade as the as a result of the historic bankruptcy of Hangjing Shipping one of the world's largest container shipping companies which handles 8% of trans-pacific trade volume for the United States market We concluded that the global implications from the bankruptcy are unknown. If, as expected, the company's ships remain frozen and inaccessible for weeks, if not months, the impact on global supply chains will be devastating, potentially resulting in a cascading waterfall effect whose impact on global economies could be severe as a result of the worldwide logistics chaos. All right. For one thing, you know what? If eight percent is enough to bring the whole thing crashing down, uh, then it needs to crash down because it's too dang fragile to begin with. Okay? Which is all a bunch of BS. Now let now we have this horror story, right? Of oh my gosh, the big shipping company went bankrupt. You know what this story is? This is nothing but a setup to say oh they're too big to fail. We need to bail them out. Give them some money so they can keep shipping. Ah, screw that. You know what? Don't you remember a few months ago? Oh, by the way, why'd they go bankrupt? I'll tell you why they went bankrupt. Because the dry index has gone way, way down, meaning things ain't getting shipped. You've seen the pictures. You saw the stories months and months ago about all the container ships just chained together out in the, out in the ocean, abandoned, basically. I mean, they're not really abandoned, but they're being stored out there because there's no place for them. There's... Hundreds of them, probably thousands by now. You know why? Because during the artificial bubble, shipbuilders just kept building more container ships, more and more and more and more. And then, oh, pop goes the bubble. Uh Uh-oh, now what? Well, hey, there's nothing to ship. What do you do with all these container ships? You chain them together and put them, sit them out in the ocean until you can use them again. So, oh, I know. So, hey, Hang Jing went bankrupt. Oh, oh, I got an idea. Why don't these other companies that got container ships sitting out in the ocean chained together why don't they put some gas in them put a captain on them get a crew and start hauling crap i am so sick of hearing about how the sky has fallen over every little thing that happens eight percent oh my god okay well anyway (laughs) man (laughs) uh Here's a good one. Are you going to believe your eyes or the mainstream media lies? That's catchy. I'll I'll say that. Oh, man. Hey, no matter how many times the uh, mainstream media attempts to cover it up or deliberately cuts live feed footage so Americans watching cannot see the truth about Hillary Clinton, images, videos, and a long history of ailments, falling down, fainting, and even possible public seizures, have multiple prominent doctors and millions of Americans concerned that Clinton is a very, very sick woman. Yeah, and we're talking about physical health. Because she's, I mean, it's very clear that she's a psychopath. I mean, that's been clear for, what, at least 20 years. And if you were really watching the Clintons in, in Arkansas, more like 30 or 40 years. But, I mean, you know. Anyway. And this goes to the same thing that, look, 
The media is covering for her. It's the same thing with these stinking polls, okay? Oh, it's a two it's a two point race now. Oh boy, Donald Trump is really catching up. Donald Trump was never behind, folks. Okay, look, are you gonna believe the mainstream media lies? Let me tell you a little secret. All those polls is the mainstream media, all right? Are you going to believe them, or are you going to believe your eyes? What do I mean by that? Well, let's just take a simple example. Donald Trump, no matter where he goes, he can fill stadiums. And he doesn't even have to pay the people to show up. Hillary Clinton, on the other hand, has to pay the people and only can get 100 people, even when she's paying them. On a college campus, for crying out loud. Or she doesn't even bother with a crowd. Okay, she just puts up a green screen and they and they they paste the crowd in. It's amazing. I, I I'm honestly I've never seen anything like it. I don't think anybody has. It's it, it is just it it's insane world. But we're gonna take a break and we'll be back. <laughs>
Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's Wednesday, September 7, 2016. It's about 9.43 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. That's when it is where you're at. We're live. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. You can also go to the chat room, go to our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. All right, we're back. Let's do this. Oh, where was I? Oh, I finished that. We'll move on. Oh, well, this is kind of a lengthy thing that maybe I'll do tomorrow, but a great headline. Is this proof the U.N. is preparing to crack down upon the American people? Woo! Okay, well, you know, uh, <laughs> I read this article, and I'm telling you, it, it is the concern. And, folks... Blue helmets are your enemy. Understand that. You see a blue helmet, that's a target. And when I mean target, don't mistake me. I mean that's a target to be eliminated. Stricken from the earth. Disposed of. Killed. They are enemy combatants. Okay? If they show up in America, we are at war. Remember that. And the U.N.'s been at this a long time, and things have died down in the United States about protesting against the United Nations, and it needs to pick back up. Okay? But, hey, U.N. won't be a... It won't be an issue if the United States breaks into pieces, because that's that's pretty much what's going to end up happening. When I talk about revolution, civil war, don't think oh, we're just going to have a little revolution, a little civil war, whatever we want to call it, and then when we're over, we'll all just go back to the way it was. No, we will not. 
go back to the way it was. That's not how revolutions and civil wars end. You don't just go back to the way it was. Here's something that maybe we should, uh, you know, be aware of. Now, I've mentioned, uh, you know, I've talked about the U.S. military. Ain't what it seems. Have you ever heard the phrase, paper tiger? Yeah. Welcome to the United States military. Oh, yeah, they got some fancy weapons. I'm sure they do. They probably got particle beams and whatever else. But you know what? It's just like saying, well, good golly, the cops all got machine guns. Yeah, the cops all got machine guns, and they're outnumbered 300 to 1. I don't care what kind of machine gun you got. I, You know, me and my 300 pals all have rocks, and you have a machine gun. Well, chances are you're going to kill quite a few of us. But eventually... Somebody's going to clock you in the right spot with a, ha- with, a, with, a, with a rock. And you might not be shooting as many of us as you thought you were going to. Because if you're being, have you ever been pelted by rocks? I have. <laughs> I have. It's no fun at all. And it's a lot, it hurts a lot more than you think it would. I mean, because, you know, you see this in the movies where, you know, people get hit by rock. Oh, look at them, man. No, you, you can kill people by throwing rocks at them, man, I'm telling you. And when you're out number 300 to 1, well, golly, uh, you know what? You're over. So, you know, don't don't get all, oh, my gosh, they've got this and they've got that. And they've got all these things and your little pop gun you can get into. And my pop gun will blow your head off. And then whatever cool thing you got is now mine. Whether it's an Abrams tank or, hey, maybe this Apache attack helicopter. You know what? <laughs> now it's mine. Think about that. Anyway, stop being afraid. But Russia and China unite against NATO in the South China Sea. That's right. Russia and China are preparing for joint naval exercises in the disputed South China Sea. You know, and they call it the disputed South China Sea. Disputed? What's the name again? South China Sea? What's the dispute? The United States thinks it can roam around the world and just anything it can see is ours to control. This is ours. We're in charge here. Oh, really? I don't know. Let's look at a map. Um, South China Sea. Let's see. What country? We're China. This is the Ch- South China Sea. Huh. Hey, guess what? Get the hell out. And that's what's happening, folks. And, and you know what? It, it, all you hawks out there, you know what? I suggest you get your fatigues and, and you saddle up. You know, I I mean, really, I think you should. If you want to go to war, I think you should go to war. You should go to war. Not me, not anybody else's kids. You, you and your kids. Take the whole family off to war if you want to go to war so much, you freaking, you know, hawks out there. Chicken hawks. And that includes all the stuffed shirt lying pretending frauds 
that call themselves generals at the Pentagon. Shoot, they got rid of any good general in the Pentagon in the Clinton years. That's been nothing but a cesspool of political scumbags since then. Well, since at least then. <laughs> hey, how about this? What if what now what do you think would happen if let's say oh I don't know, I can't even think of a company, but let's say I've got a huge company, a big corporation, big rich corporation. And I put out a memo and I tell all my employees that you are forbidden to contribute any of your own money to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Can you imagine how the mainstream media would tear me to shreds? I mean, honestly, can you? Well, hey, Goldman Sachs has enacted a set of rules that bans the firm's top employees from contributing to certain campaigns, including the Trump-Pence ticket. The rules kicked in September 1st and will apply only to partners of the firm. The firm says the rules were meant to remove any implication of so-called pay-to-play. Four years ago, the bank paid $12 million to settle charges that a former Boston-based banker had picked up bond underwriting business in the state while working for and contributing funds to the campaign of a then-Massachusetts state treasurer and governor hopeful, Tim Cahill. But the people in the Trump campaign are sure to question the timing. That's because the rule banned donations to politicians running for state and local offices, as well as donations to state officials who are seeking federal office. That makes campaign contributions to the Trump-Pence ticket a no-no. Pence is the current governor of Indiana. At the same time, the rules do not restrict donations to Clinton Kane. Kane is a U.S. senator for Virginia and not considered a local official under Goldman's rules. Lloyd Blankfein, Goldman's CEO, has declined to say who he is supporting for president, but is known as a longtime Clinton supporter. Isn't that nice? Goldman Sachs declined to uh, comment on this story. So basically, folks, they wrote the rules specifically to keep any Goldman partners from contributing to Trump, but it's okay to contribute to Hillary Clinton. (laughs) You know what? If I was Donald Trump and I got to be president, I would put in prison every stinking scumbag that works for Goldman Sachs in any capacity at all. I'd lock them all up. I'd put them in Guantanamo Bay is where I'd put them. Let them escape. I'd leave the frigging gate open. You can go live in Cuba, you bunch of communist scumbags. I, I tell you, honestly, if I was Donald Trump, if I got to be president, I, I, would, I, would, I would start revoking FCC licenses. No, I'd say, look, uh, you know what? We're revoking your license. Screw you. NBC, CNN, you don't have an FCC license anymore. You're out of business. That's right. I put them out of business. 
I seize their business and put it up on the auction block and let somebody else buy it. With the obvious understanding, you cross me. You know, put some rules down in the FCC, why don't you? I mean, it's it's like, look, free speech is one thing. But, I, I mean, look, I'll be honest. I will never say a good thing about Hillary Clinton. Well, until she dies. Because, see, I consider that a good thing about Hillary Clinton. If she's dead, I think that's a really, really good thing. I think that would be a good thing for Hillary Clinton to do. And if she would be good enough to die, I would give her credit for that. But short of that, no. But you know what? The fact of the matter is, I don't hate Hillary Clinton because she's a woman. Or because she's white, or because she's got blonde hair, or because she wears crappy pantsuits, or she's married to a scumbag, lying, dirtbag, rapist, liar. Did I say liar already? Well, you know what? When it comes to the Clintons, you really can't say liar enough. It's not any of those things. It's the stuff she has done. And it wouldn't matter if she was anybody else. Man, woman, Mexican, black, white, I don't care. If you do the things Hillary Clinton has been doing for 40 years, I'm going to hate you just as bad. Why is that so hard for liberals to understand that, listen, it's not any of these other reasons. It's not, you know, at this point, it's not even Hillary Clinton's failed policies. And you can say, well, wait a minute, failed policies. She's not president yet. She doesn't have any policies. Oh, she does. Her policies are the same policies Obama's been pushing. And every other communist has been in the White House. Read the Communist Manifesto if you want to see the policies of Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and the Democratic Party and half of the Republicans. How about this? Here's here's one Jay should like. The day the lights go out and the trucks stop running. Now this this goes into some depth and and it's good, and it gives numbers and it's it's, it's a well written, well I you know I don't know about grammatically well written, but there's a lot of good information in this and I'll I'll probably get to that tomorrow because it's worth talking about because you know part of my my. my 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 major thing that I try to harp on is that you get prepared, folks, because something bad could happen. Okay? You could end up one day in a situation where everything you see around you is all you're ever going to have for the foreseeable future. Listen, and if you don't think that can happen, if you think this is going to continue to be a slow slide into, you know, worse and worse and worse, oh, I, I have no doubt that will continue, but one day the music stops. And if you don't believe me, why don't you ask some people who were around September 7th, 1941. Ask some of those people. Because you know what? They went to bed Saturday night 
after dancing and drinking and having a great time in the America they knew and loved, and they woke up Sunday morning in World War II. Everything changed. From the time they went to bed to the time they woke up, everything changed. That's how things go when things go bad, real bad. So Julian Assange, he says Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race because he was threatened. Oh, boy, there's a, wow, that's not even news, is it? Now, get this, Clinton strategist Bob Beckel, this guy works for CNN, dirtbag, scum. I like to punch this guy in his head. I hate this guy. So what does he think about, uh, like, uh, Julian Assange, huh? Well, let's, let's read a quote from him. I mean, this is qu- quote, I mean, a dead man can't leak stuff. Beckel chillingly noted of Assange, the guy's a traitor, a treasonist, and he has broken every law in the United States. Okay. So Bob Beckel is clearly an idiot, right? For one thing, the guy is a traitor. The guy is not a traitor. He's an Australian citizen. He doesn't owe any allegiance to the United States. So he can't be a traitor. You've got to owe your allegiance and then betray somebody in order to be a traitor. Moron. So Julian Assange is not a traitor. Because he doesn't owe any allegiance to the United States. A treasonous. Oh, really? A treasonous? Well, hey, well, you know, some people could say, well, no, wait a minute. Let, oh, but, oh, okay, let's go to the, the source, the Constitution. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them. No. Or in adhering to their enemies. No. Giving them aid and comfort. Now, one thing I want you to listen to, treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them. Did you catch that? Them. The United States. Them. Okay? Them. Levying war against them, meaning the several states of the Union. Julian Assange hasn't done that. So, hey, I guess, well, now he's, he's not a traitor because he's an Australian citizen. Uh, hmm. He hasn't committed treason because he hasn't, uh, you know, done war against the states. And he's broken every law in the United States. You mean all 50 million laws? He's broken all of them? Wow. I didn't think, you know, how old is this guy? I mean, jeez, I think it would take like 50 lifetimes to break all the laws in the United States. Anyway, the guy ought to be, and I'm not for the death penalty, so if I'm not for the death penalty, there's only one way to do it. Illegally shoot the son of a bitch. Pardon my French, but it's not really my French. It's Bob Beckel, you know, a CNN commentator. That's what he thinks. Now, what if I would say the same thing about, say, Barack Obama? 
Well, I got to go now, but I'll be back again tomorrow, and maybe I will say exactly the same thing as Bob Beckel just said about Julian Assange. Maybe I'll say the same exact thing about Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, except you see, I'll back it up with facts that they are traitors. They have committed treason against the states of the Union. Hmm? Oh, no. There's those pesky little facts again. Get rid of them, you bigot, racist, misogynist. Uh, did I say bigot? I'll say it again. Bigot, 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 sexist, uh, and all the other things. But I got to go. I'll see you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. We got good stuff coming up. Political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. sick? It's a fair question. When John McCain ran for president in 2008, the media hounded him until he released his medical records. McCain was shot down over Vietnam. He was injured. He was captured. He was tortured. I think liberals were being mean-spirited about it. They were trying to demean his heroism. But look, fair is fair. If someone wants to lead the free world, voters should know that he's physically and mentally fit. Which brings us to Hillary Clinton. I'm not just talking about those endless coughing fits. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Just one second here. I mean, when you're doing public speaking, it's easy for your throat to get dry. <clears throat> so you have a drink of water. But seriously, it's all the time with Clinton. And I've heard of taking a cough drop or even throat spray, but who takes a medical pill because they're coughing? (laughs) What kind of pill do you take when you're coughing? There's little weird things, like the fact that she always needs to be propped up on pillows when she sits. Once you notice it, you can't look away. She's always being propped up with pillows. She needs help standing or climbing stairs. It just doesn't seem normal. Or maybe it is normal for someone who is sick or weak. Everyone slips and trips from time to time. If you or I had a camera on us all the time, it would be easy to exaggerate a single incident, like tripping while boarding an airplane. But it's tough to exaggerate a concussion and a blood clot in your brain that sends you to the hospital. And that's exactly what happened to Hillary Clinton four years ago. 
Do you know how serious that injury was? She went back to work in arguably the second most important job in America, and she was still so banged up weeks later, her head was still so injured that she was seeing double. Do you see those strange glasses she was wearing? Do you see that weird prism in the lenses? That's called a Fresnel prism. It's to counter double vision. She was seeing double. Is that why she needs a handrail all the time? Is that why she needs to be helped up? How did she get that concussion in the first place? Did, did she fall and why? Did, did she have a seizure or something? I mean, what's this all about? Now, the Clinton spin doctors say that seizure there was just a joke. You know, Hillary Clinton, renowned for her sense of humor, was just having a little fun. A little pretend seizure in a media scrum, totally normal. She's always yucking it up like that. She's always such a practical joker, that Hillary. <laughs> really? I thought only Donald Trump did entertaining gags like that. Not someone who had a blood clot in their brain and a concussion and Fresnel glasses. She insists on sitting down whenever she can, either propped up with a pillow or on a stage with a stool nearby. In the Democratic debates against Bernie Sanders, where she had to stand for prolonged periods of time, she took extremely long breaks during commercials. Really weird. I mean, these were live nationally televised debates. And everyone was waiting for Hillary Clinton to come back. From where? From the bathroom? From some sort of medical treatment? Sorry. Who knows? Maybe this guy knows, always seen with her, but he's not Secret Service. You'd think he is, based on how close he stays to Clinton, but he's a paramedic. You can see by the badge he sometimes wears. He carries an injection device. Maybe it's an EpiPen, maybe it's an anti-seizure injector. Always just a few feet away from Hillary Clinton. And whenever she gets flustered and confused, and maybe she's gonna have another one of those seizures, He's immediately there, walks right up to her, and sometimes tells her exactly what words to say. Oh, okay. Keep talking. You handle it. We're not going anywhere. Okay, here we are. advisor. He's not security. He's her paramedic, taking her through a stressful situation. She could have used his help here. And improve it and get the cost out of an upward spiral. Don't you think that's weird? Don't you think it at least warrants full disclosure, like John McCain did with his medical history? Here's a New York Times journalist saying that Google should actually suppress information about Hillary Clinton's health issues. That tells you what you already knew. The media party is just a wing of the Democratic Party. You can't trust the media, but also, look, if there's no bad news about her health, you don't need to suppress it, do you? If you have to suppress something, that means there is something to suppress. The lack of candor, the lack of disclosure, combined with the odd observations, leads to speculation. And the mainstream media are not asking normal accountability questions. Are you at least curious about this? I mean, why does Hillary Clinton always wear the strangest pantsuits? I mean, not even normal pantsuits, but things that look like they're 
specifically tailored, always in a strange style. I mean, obviously, Clinton is a 69-year-old woman. She's not going to wear form-fitting clothes like, say, Melania Trump. But are her clothes deliberately tailored to conceal things underneath, medical devices, a defibrillator, something like that? I don't know. I'm just speculating. But when the New York Times not only doesn't report on the truth, but demands that no other media be allowed to report on it either, you know it's a question at least worth asking. I mean, don't you think we ought to know if a U.S. presidential candidate is healthy, mentally and physically? Do you think being president is a stressful job? Maybe just a bit. Do you think negotiating with Vladimir Putin or the Iranians or the North Koreans is a little bit tiring and stressful? Who's going to be making the decisions, Clinton or that unnamed personal paramedic? Maybe we ought to know who he is and what his mandate is. Look, we know that Clinton gets easily confused. Don't take it from me. Take it from Huma Abedin, her personal advisor and closest aide. Here's an email that Clinton originally hid from the public that was released only after a court ordered her to. Check it out. Start from the bottom in this email chain. Huma Abedin, Clinton's closest aide, emails another aide and asks, have you been going over calls with her for tomorrow? And the second aide replies, she was in bed for a nap by the time I heard. Now, this email exchange was at 5 p.m. She's napping at 5 p.m. And then Huma Abedin writes back and says, very important to do that. She's often confused. Oh, oh, great. Now, this was three and a half years ago. She's often confused. Blood clot, concussion, Fresnel prism glasses, seizures, having naps at 5 p.m., a grown-up? needs to be told things by her aides because she's often confused. We're in the best of hands here, aren't we? Now look, Hillary Clinton has illegally deleted tens of thousands of emails that were the property of the U.S. government. It's obvious why. She's hiding her tracks for all the dirty deals and corrupt conversations she's had over the years, especially in regards to the corrupt Clinton family foundations, which have taken in hundreds of millions of dollars in donations while she was Secretary of State, while she's campaigning for president, and those donations have even come in from foreign governments like Saudi Arabia. They are literally sending her multi-million dollar bribes. It's not for charity. Less than 10% of Clinton Foundation money goes to charitable activities. It's all graft. But we were able to see some glimpses of some of her emails. As I just showed you, thousands of her emails have come to, uh, come to light through a public interest lawsuit filed against the State Department by a nonprofit group called Judicial Watch. Here's another one of those emails that Clinton tried to hide that Judicial Watch got. Start from the bottom of this email exchange. Now, this is from 2009. Clinton wrote, do you think we could get a plane for Westchester flight back tonight? It's going to rain all day, and I still don't feel great. So the idea of playing a guessing game with the shuttle is really burdensome on me. What do you think? Could be any time that works for the Air Force. So she was too sick, too frail too tired even to fly on a regular plane. She needed the Air Force to spend, send her a special plane. Now, this was in 2009. That was seven years ago. 
that was before her concussion, before her blood clot, before her coughing fits. How long has she been so sick and tired and needing naps, as Huma Abedin says, so easily confused? Here, let me show you some more. Here, this is an email from 2013. Hillary Clinton is about to meet the foreign minister of France, Laurent Fabius. So it's an important meeting, but look at the email. It's sent at about 2.20 in the afternoon on a Friday. Two in the afternoon. And Huma Abedin tells Clinton, reminder, Fabius at 3.30, take a nap. This was no joke. Clinton wrote back, we'll try. I'm sorry, what, what adult has naps at all, let alone at 2.20 p.m.? Naps? And it's such an important issue that her staff has to tell her to do it. They know something is wrong or something will be wrong if she doesn't have a nap. Now, I went to an archive of Clinton emails. Again, these are ones that a court ordered the State Department to disclose. They were hiding them. We still haven't seen tens of thousands of emails that Clinton deleted. But I just typed in the word sleep into a search engine of those emails. No big deal. Just the word sleep. I didn't even type in nap or sick or seizure or anything. Here's what I found. And these are just emails in random order. In December of 2012, this email. Hillary, I'm relieved to hear you're going back to work. Hope you are feeling well and got some sleep too. It's from Sid Blumenthal. Hope you're, hope you're better? What, what was wrong? How long was she out of commission? Now the concussion in question was nearly three weeks before this note. How long was Clinton out? What actually happened to her? But look at her response on the same email. She wrote to a staffer, did I already respond? Are, are you kidding me? Hillary Clinton didn't know if she had responded yet. She was confused. She was disoriented. Still, three weeks after the concussion. I mean, I guess she was well enough to type, but she was so confused. Maybe she needed a nap. And yes, look at the reply to her. She had already responded. Hillary Clinton couldn't remember what she was doing. Can you imagine her dealing with an operator like Vladimir Putin? Who would be in the room to whisper things like, did I answer already? Or who is that man? Here's an email from 2011. Now, this is a gushing profile in Harper's Magazine about how great Hillary Clinton is sent to her. But again, little signs of problems even then. This is from the article. She is also a champion napper. Reigns notes that in her cabin on her special air mission plane, Clinton can sleep through both takeoff and landing. I often sleep through both, yeah, she says. How? Because I'm so tired. I think I'm chronically exhausted. Chronically exhausted, eh? I love how that was phrased. She's a champion napper. It's such a good thing to be low energy. Yeah, here's another one. Like I say, these naps and confusions go back to 2009, her first year in office, probably before that too. Here's one from mid-2012, before her concussion. Again, this is a loving story from the Associated Press that was sent to Hillary Clinton as a press clipping. She loves to read her fan mail. And the story was called, Hillary Clinton Breaks Travel Record. Another puff piece, but look at these sentences in the middle of the story. Even with a bed on the plane and her uncanny ability to sleep mid-flight, the grueling schedule can take its toll. Clinton suffered a rare coughing fit as she finished a speech before the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in Hanoi. 
And while she insisted that she would have preferred to stay all day, as birds sang in Kabul's presidential palace, she rushed away when Afghan President Hamid Karzai suggested taking additional questions. Arriving in Egypt this weekend after a flight from Cambodia, Clinton and her staff literally didn't know what time it was. A rare coughing fit, eh? Yeah, not so rare. Rushing away and avoiding questions. I like that line about an uncanny ability to have naps in a plane with a full bed. Is that an uncanny ability? That's a pretty positive way of spinning that she's exhausted all the time. I have an uncanny ability to have naps and take breaks. I'm a champion napper. <laughs> the media, eh? But it seems that Hillary Clinton herself knew there was a problem. Look at this email from back in 2010. She asks a staff member to print a bunch of articles for her. What are they all about? Sleep and weight loss from a thyroid website. Importance of sleep from a Harvard website. Metabolism and weight also from a Harvard website. What exactly is going on with her? Well, maybe like all of the rest of us, she's just curious about health. Just wanting to check up on some questions, no biggie. Except she says she's always exhausted. A champion napper sleeps all the time. And her staff tell her to sleep. I'm sorry, that's not normal. Not for someone in her position. And you think it's better or worse now, six years later. Well, here's a bizarre and shocking one from 2011. Sent to her by Jake Sullivan, her deputy chief of staff at the time. So it was obviously important. The subject line in the email is pro-vigil. What on earth is that? Well, Sullivan explains. It's a drug used by the military to deal with sleepiness. Pro-vigil is used to treat excessive sleepiness caused by narcolepsy or shift work sleep disorder, sleepiness during scheduled waking hours among people who work at night or on rotating shifts. It is also often prescribed to treat excessive sleepiness in patients with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and multiple sclerosis. Does Hillary Clinton have one of those diseases? Does she have narcolepsy? Does she have Parkinson's? What's wrong with her? And is it impacting her ability to make decisions? Well, let me show you one more document from 2011. Do you suffer from decision fatigue is the subject line sent to Clinton from her staff and she writes back, quote, wow, that is spooky, descriptive. Really? What did it say that was so spooky that made Hillary Clinton say, wow? Why did her staff send it to her in the first place? It's a long article, so I'll just quote one key paragraph. Here, listen to this. Decision fatigue helps explain why ordinarily sensible people get angry at colleagues and families, splurge on clothes, buy junk food at the supermarket, and can't resist the dealer's offer to rust-proof their new car. No matter how rational and high-minded you try to be, you can't make a decision after decision without paying a biological price. It's different from ordinary physical fatigue. You're not consciously aware of being tired, but you're low on mental energy. The more choices you make throughout the day, the harder each one becomes for your brain, and eventually it looks for shortcuts, usually in either of two very different ways. One shortcut is to become reckless, to act impulsively instead of expending the energy to first think through the consequences. Sure, tweet that photo, what could go wrong? The other shortcut is the ultimate energy saver, do nothing. 
Instead of agonizing over decisions, avoid any choice. Ducking a decision often creates bigger problems in the long run, but for the moment, it eases the mental strain, unquote. Look, being president is the most stressful job in the world. You're making decisions from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. You need energy, both physical and mental. You need to be able to make decisions in the morning and at night and sometimes in the middle of the night. Like, say, for example, when terrorists attack the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, you can't say you're just really tired and push pause. You can't have a nap. You have to make a decision. Look, I don't know. Maybe the coughing thing is just a cough. Maybe the weird clothing is just a personal style. Maybe she's not hiding any medical devices. Maybe that male paramedic is just a, an aide of some sort. I don't know. I do know she's acting pretty strange. For six years, she's been sleep-deprived, a champion napper, chronically exhausted in her own words. She's been researching medical conditions and exotic drugs. She had a concussion and a blood clot. She was seeing double. She didn't even know if she had written back to close friends. Her staff tells her to nap. Her staff says she's easily confused. This is an important issue that needs to be addressed before the election. What exactly is wrong with Hillary Clinton? And just as important, why won't the mainstream media ask basic questions? Questions they had no problem asking when it was a Republican named John McCain. For the Rebel.media, I'm Ezra Levant. Thanks for watching. Click here to never miss a Rebel update. Want even more of the Rebel? Well, click here to become a premium member. She's driven by the power. She's driven to get the power. That is the driving force in her life. She does not answer questions uh, straight out. She is the expert of not saying what she believes. She will run on attacking Republicans and and being the first woman president. And oh, isn't that amazing? Oh, it's a woman. She can walk and talk. The thought here is it's all politics. Parcel out favors to individual groups, whether it's unions here or the farm block there. But she is steeped in controversy, steeped in sleaze. That's why they don't want us to look at her record. I would recommend that Hillary Clinton appreciate that she's not going to be, by any means, the candidate of American women. American women have diverse views on politics, just like men. At the core of almost every one of the investigations we did for eight years, uh, where there were problems, and I mean major problems, with the Clinton administration, she was at the core of them. It's part of the Clinton method, which is say what you need to say at, at any given moment and rely on the lack of memory of the American public and the support of the mainstream media to support that lack of memory. The 20-year plan really is that the Clintons share power. Now, one would be president eight years, one would be president another eight years, over a span of 20 years, with a little uh, Republican in between, perhaps. So, in essence, what happened is that Bill and Hillary, in their mid-20s, before they ever took their marital vows, they took their political vows. You know, a lot of people ask me, do we have to go through all these old Clinton scandals again? Well, I have good news for you. You don't, because you can look at the new ones, because Hillary Clinton's scandals are a gift that keeps on giving. Mendacious, venal, sneaky, ideological, intolerant, liar is a good one, scares the hell out of me, looks good in a pantsuit.
announced today that I'm forming a presidential exploratory committee. I'm not just starting a campaign, though. I'm beginning a conversation with you, with America. So let's talk. Let's chat. Let's start a dialogue about your ideas and mine. And while I can't visit everyone's living room, I can try. So let the conversation begin. I have a feeling it's going to be very interesting. The challenge for Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail is she has to pretend to be something she's not. She's far more liberal than she's going to want to let on. That means you have to be very controlled. You can't be too spontaneous. You're pretending to be something. And I think that's going to be a potential problem for her on a couple of grounds. It's inauthentic, and people spot that. I am sick and tired of people who say that if you debate and you disagree with this administration, somehow you're not patriotic, and we should stand up and say we are. A person who's struggling herself with figuring out who she is, or more importantly, how she wants to present herself to the American public, because her own advisors told us her sort of authenticity and who she is is issue one, issue two, and issue three for her. I don't feel no ways tired. She's continually trying to redefine herself and figure out who she is and project an authenticity to voters who are, of course, wondering who is the real Hillary. Hillary Rodham Clinton. Could she become the first female president in the history of the United States? Her name is known by nearly every American, but who she really is remains largely a mystery. Hillary Clinton points to her time in the White House as a large part of her qualification for the job as president. But most of the news media has conveniently forgotten that her time as first lady was mired in controversy. The core of the controversy is how truthful Mrs. Clinton has been in answering questions, sometimes under oath, about Whitewater and other matters. She was the first first lady to come under criminal investigation. In both Little Rock and Washington, D.C., she was plagued by numerous scandals. Senator Clinton has extraordinary ability to obfuscate, uh, refuse to answer questions, avoid uh, confrontations, and uh, up until now has been given a pass on it. A story in the New York Times talking about why Senator Clinton voted this way, because I think some people were surprised by it. And her advisor said that she voted yes because she was moving from primary mode to general election mode. Primary mode versus general election mode? How about tell the truth mode? How about we say the same thing in the primary that we say in the general election? We know that Hillary's an insecure person. Secure people don't lie. They don't lie inveterately the way she does. What drives Hillary now is power. She very much is interested in gaining power. She considers herself to be a special person. She has a lot of arrogance, a spirit of superiority about her. And this is the driving force in her life, is to gain and acquire and maintain power. And her husband got to the top, and see, she saw it, she felt it, and she wants there herself. Over the past 16 years, Hillary Clinton has undoubtedly become one of the most divisive figures in America. How this makes her suited to unite the country as the next president is troubling to many. And recall 
Hillary speaking at a black church on Martin Luther King Day. What a coincidence. When you look at the way the House of Representatives has been run, it has been run like a plantation, and you know what I'm talking about. And you know what I'm talking about, girlfriend. What about That's how she's going to get the power? by accusing the Republicans of running a plantation at a black church on Martin Luther King Day. That's it. Okay. After announcing her bid for the presidency, fellow Democrats, including former Clinton confidant and Hollywood mogul David Geffen, publicly questioned Hillary's integrity and truthfulness. Such breaks within the Clinton inner circle beg the question, what is the truth about Hillary Rodham Clinton? It's a recklessness that's born of arrogance that goes back to her 1960s roots in their narcissism. They believe they are a rule unto themselves. I mean, every time Hillary's been caught in a scandal, she really did it. No one made it up. She's deceitful. She'll make up any story, lie about anything, as long as it serves her purpose of the moment. And uh, the American people are going to catch on to it. So who is the real Hillary Clinton? Is she a brilliant trailblazer poised to make history as the first female president? Or is she ruthless, cunning, dishonest, willing to do anything for power? Because of your position, your husband might have given you some kind of unfavorable or, you know, uh, a favored advantage. There isn't any evidence that anybody gave me any favorable treatment. Yes, my question I'd like to follow up to. First one has to do with Susan McDougal. She said that she brought the documents of Whitewater over to you at the governor's mansion. Did you receive all the documents? And if so, what became of them? Every document that we have obtained has been turned over to the special counsel, no matter where it came from. Oh, that didn't happen, and I know nothing about any other such stories. Absolutely not. When you look at all the skullduggery in the Clinton administration, all roads lead back to Hillary. It also tells us something about the character of, of the American media. I mean, they, 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 they carry these people. A Republican with that, with those numbers of character flaws, with that sort of behavioral problem and, and, and psychopathic psychology could not run or be elected to dog catcher if it were a Republican. The politics of personal destruction was a phrase popularized by the Clintons in the 90s to describe the attacks by what Hillary called the vast right-wing conspiracy. But is she actually more familiar with practicing that fine art than being its victim? They have been the masters of the politics of personal destruction, and then they use the well-known trick of accusing your opponents of your own malfeasance. So they accuse conservatives of speaking honestly about the ethical shortcomings of the Clintons, while they, in fact, speak dishonestly about the integrity of their opponents. And that has been a bellwether, and it has done destruction to people who they've encountered. Even people in the Democratic Party would acknowledge the Clintons are particularly ruthless 
and particularly aggressive when it comes to campaigns. The war room, this is a military metaphor for the campaign the Clintons invented regarding instant responses, that no matter what the validity of a charge, you don't explain the charge, you don't apologize for the charge, you don't admit any error, you automatically attack the integrity or the motivations of the other side. There are any number of things in the Clinton's political history that is worth recalling before you go in to vote for, potentially for a Clinton, in this case a Hillary Clinton. And it's a small example, but a telling one. When they turned on the travel office, where you had career civil servants doing a great job providing the travel service for the president and his staff, and they wanted to get a, a lackey friend in, they could have fired the guy in charge, but they accused him of a crime. They tried to ruin his, his life in order to be able to get them out and get their lackeys in. When the Clintons moved to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in 1993, White House veteran Billy Dale was the director of the travel office. Dale had faithfully served seven previous presidents, starting with John F. Kennedy in 1961. But Dale, who had actually voted for Clinton for president, would soon discover that business under the Clintons would not be business as usual. We that we were in for a rougher transition because we had heard stories from Secret Service agents who had gone to Little Rock for a two-week stay down there. And the stories that some of the agents would come back and tell us that we just knew that it was going to be different. We didn't realize how different it was going to be. The administration is free to fire anybody that they want to, but traditionally that does not happen. On the day of Clinton's inauguration, Wednesday, January 20th, 1993, Billy Dale got a call from an unknown woman indicating that Catherine Cornelius, the 24-year-old third cousin of President Clinton, would soon be working in the travel office. When I got to know who Catherine Cornelius was, she went to work in David Watkins' office answering phones, but she never let up in her demands to take over the travel office. In the meantime, I get a telephone call from a gentleman in Ohio, and he wants to know how he can get in on some of the White House charter business. And I said, that's what I do. I arranged the charters, and he said, I know, but he says, we can make some money here. If I had made arrangements with that gentleman, I speculate that things would have been very different than as they turned out. That call was from Darnell Martins, a partner of Clinton's close friends and Hollywood producers, Harry and Linda Bloodworth Thomason, in a travel agency called TRM. When Congress investigated, they learned Harry Thomason had multiple conversations with First Lady Hillary Clinton about taking over the White House charters. At that time, I didn't even know who Harry Thomason was, but we have since learned that Catherine was reporting to him and he was reporting to the First Lady Hillary Clinton. As Dale says, every new president has the right to hire new travel office staff, even though no president had done so for over 30 years. But not only was Billy Dale fired, along with six other travel office staff members, he was also locked out of his office. But that was only the beginning. And I got accused of embezzling $14,000 that I couldn't 
account for because the logs were missing. At the same time, D.D. Myers is in the press room briefing the White House press corps, telling them that we were being fired for criminal misconduct and the FBI was being called in to conduct a criminal investigation. I think that they wanted to make it look like they were doing it because it was corruption over there so nobody would criticize them because the media liked Billy Dale and the people there. Gary Aldrich was an FBI agent for 26 years, the last five as an agent responsible for background checks on White House staff. Recall that the FBI had conducted investigations of all of these men and had determined that they were qualified to work in the White House and that they were honest individuals. I conducted some of those investigations. Billy Dale was humiliated and was accused of serious wrongdoing to the degree that they conduct a federal grand jury investigation and an indictment of him. I had dedicated 32 years of my life to this job and served faithfully to Democrats and Republicans alike. The experience was a major event in my career because it taught me that powerful politicians can misuse law enforcement authority almost whimsically. And because it was the first lady ordering the investigation, well then charges have to be found. That scared me. That was different from my experience in the FBI of 26 years. I thought if we have reached the level where a politician can get irritated with somebody and cause them to maybe end up in federal prison, we've got a serious problem. The White House travel office affair became known as Travelgate. When Dale's legal bills to defend himself were estimated to run as much as $750,000, he considered a plea deal, a fine of $69,000, and a brief jail sentence. Blanche and I had been married for 38 years at that time. I decided that I would have to sell my home. Could I ask her to give up everything that we had worked for? The plea bargain seemed just that, a bargain, in order to save himself and his family from the unending ordeal. But when Dale was informed he would not be able to proclaim his innocence, he realized he couldn't bargain with the truth. In the meantime, during this year, I got a notice from the IRS that I was being audited. For the next 30 months, Dale was investigated. His son and daughter were also subpoenaed. I remember during my trial, Vicki, my oldest daughter, telling her mother that if I was found guilty and had to go to jail for something that I did not do, that she didn't know if she could live in this country any longer when the, the government would be responsible for doing something like that to her father. A procession of White House journalists volunteered to serve as character witnesses for Dale, including Britt Hume and Sam Donaldson. The press at the time, I think, ought to remind people that I testified at Billy Dale's trial as a character witness for him. The jury needed less than two hours to reach a verdict. And the jury came in and they found me not guilty on all counts. I laid my head down on the desk in front of me and cried. Ultimately, the Office of the Independent Counsel's final report on the travel office firings found that Mrs. Clinton's sworn testimony was factually inaccurate. Hillary Clinton was more powerful as a first lady than any first lady that had been in the White House that I knew of until 
I have learned that she was involved with it more than Bill was. Bill just wiped his hands of it and just would let her handle it. That's an example of the cynicism and the ruthlessness of the Clintons. And at the time, I think a lot of people thought that Hillary had at least as much to do with that as Bill did. What she did to the travel office, I mean, in a way, that is the most illustrative scandal um, because it was such an Avita Peron um, act of maliciousness toward toward these ordinary people. This guy running his travel office all these years, I'm getting them out, getting my rich Hollywood friends in. It's not even it's not even the most the most illegal thing they did, but it is the most contemptible thing they did. Billy Dale wasn't the only victim of what some would allege to be Hillary Clinton's brutal and corrupt political machine. I would say the most important thing I would study is her conduct as First Lady, not as Senator, and the, uh, her lack of uh, sensitivity to civil liberties, of privacy, using the Internal Revenue Service, her hostility to opponents, her hardness, her meanness. The Clinton administration, almost from its first day, started using the, uh, the IRS as a threat. I know a lot of tax lawyers, and they said the odds of someone like Paula Jones with her income being audited by the IRS um, is like being struck by lightning twice. Others would claim that using the IRS to harass political enemies was a Clinton White House specialty, one reminiscent of the strong arm of Richard Nixon. They're both very smart, very politically ruthless, very hardworking, great work habits. Uh, some of them not complimentary, very cynical, uh, willing to do things uh, that are beyond the pale of, of proper conduct. Proper conduct would not include using private investigators to intimidate. Those allegations come from several women involved with Bill Clinton, including Jennifer Flowers, Elizabeth Ward Grayson, Paula Jones, and Kathleen Willey. The scare tactics, you know, being followed, being audited by the IRS, their homes broken into. I mean, where does it end? Supporter and campaign worker Kathleen Willey was a White House volunteer who alleges that President Clinton sexually assaulted her during a meeting in the private study off the Oval Office in November of 1993. I kept thinking to myself, what in the hell is he doing? I, I just, that's what I kept thinking. And which sounds silly at the time, but I, I was, I was getting embarrassed for him. If that does, it's just, you know, this is just not proper. You have to remember. This was at the time when there was a lot of speculation about us womanizing, and I was the loyal Democrat, and I would not allow myself to believe that that was true. I just, I just thought it was all just rumor. Willie believes that Hillary Clinton was well aware of the tactics used by the Clinton White House to intimidate perceived enemies. Willie says two days before she was set to testify against President Clinton in the Paula Jones sexual harassment case, a stranger confronted her. We passed and we stopped and we said, hey Kathleen, did you ever find your cat? And then he said, rather ominously, yeah, that bullseye was a really nice cat. And that's what I thought, that something else was going on here. He stood back and he said, you're just not getting the message, are you? The Clinton attack machine immediately targeted Willie. 
However, there are corroborating witnesses. Jared Stern, a former Marine, later told congressional investigators he was hired to investigate Kathleen Willey during a clandestine nighttime meeting. Late at night, he called me, asked me to meet him here in this parking garage. I met him, said he had something very important to discuss. I talked to him about it, uh, discussed the tasking, and then I left to carry it out. Stern declines to discuss what he was hired to do, but Stern has admitted he was so uneasy about it that he called Willie, using an alias. I made a telephone call to Miss Willie. I left a message on her answering service indicating that I'd try again the next day. And he left a message for me saying, be careful that there were people out to get me. Jared Stern is a first-hand witness to what the, the Clintons are doing, have done, and are doing to these women. The Clintons are a unit. They share a zeal for power and a willingness to engage in any and all threat-neutralizing strategies. Legality be damned. No one will ever say what happened to Kathleen Willey was an anomaly. That M.O. can be seen throughout the Clintons' political lives. It is consistent. Willie says her car was vandalized, her house broken into, and a cat's skull was left on her porch. Today, she still lives in fear. And I don't understand how any woman in this country could vote for a woman who does that to other people, who sets out to destroy and ruin the, these women who have crossed paths with Bill Clinton. They're power hungry. They stop at nothing. They stop at nothing. Put me to work for you. I'll work to lift people up, not push them down. I finally parted company with Hillary Clinton when I saw how she was using private detectives to investigate the women who were linked to her husband. Not to change him, not to reform him, not to make him a better person, but to cow the women into silence so that he could get elected president. I do not want that woman controlling the IRS, or the DEA, or the NSA, or the FBI, or the CIA. Not in a democracy, I don't. I mean, think of what it says about, about Hillary Clinton, that she was willing to put up with, with his open philandering, with, with anything in a skirt who wanders before his eyesight, all for the power. Um, at least with Bill Clinton, he was just, you know, good time Charlie. Hillary's got an agenda, and she's willing to put up with that to, to be president of the United States. She, she's got a to-do list when she gets to the White House. Hillary Clinton's Machiavellian behavior, her tendency to manipulate, deceive, and destroy for personal gain, is nothing new. This woman, now a hero to feminists, gained much of her power during the Clinton presidency from her ability to deal with her husband's infidelities. Bill was always heavily involved in the policies of his administration, but he left chasing down his women and silencing them, pursuing the scandals and lying about them, escaping culpability for any of the things in their past to Hillary. She was his Nixon. She was his evil equivalent. She was the one who made sure that nothing got to him uh, because she was so good at it. And she was. Hillary's mastery of the black arts of attack politics is often skillfully cloaked in layers of deniability. 
But when she needs money, as all candidates do, her imprudence bewilders even her most loyal supporters. The pattern is a familiar one. Huge amounts of money are raised from political insiders, lobbyists, and special interest groups, and questions follow. In the summer of 2007, Hillary was forced to return nearly $900,000 from fundraiser Norman Shu, who is now under indictment for running a Ponzi scheme. During the White House years, it was the dirty money of a cast of characters that included Johnny Chung and Charlie Tree, both convicted of illegal campaign fundraising. I think it was Johnny Chung that said the White House was like a subway turnstile. You put the money in and you got in. And if his tokens were very large, of course. Um, there's evidence that he collected money from a Chinese intelligence officer and they were trying to influence our elections to gain access to decision-making uh, powers in the United States so they would bend U.S. policy towards China. The campaign finance scandals were so extensive, 120 people either fled the country to avoid being interrogated by investigators, pled the Fifth Amendment, or otherwise avoided questions. Fourteen guilty pleas came out of that. This is really stunning. Um, and it's stunning to me how the media will give her a pass and how the media pretends none of these things happen. And they accept the, the Hillary uh, operative's line, which is, well, let's, that's, that's old news. Everybody knows about it. Let's move on. Okay, we move on. Now they're laundering money through Chinese dishwashers in Chinatown in New York. I'm a little surprised somebody in the campaign didn't flag that down and say, uh, dishwashers, maximum contribution or $1,000. Um, let's look into that a little bit. Uh, the Los Angeles Times looked into it and found that they couldn't find something like a third of these uh, Chinatown contributors and that they found other people who uh, said they had no idea that they had made contributions. It looks like a clear case that somebody committed fundraising law violations and the Clinton campaign at the least did not do due diligence to try and track that down. One case in particular highlights Hillary's hypocrisy and startling recklessness when it comes to raising illegal campaign contributions. Though most of the news media has ignored it, Hillary was directly involved in what has been called the biggest campaign finance fraud in the history of the United States. It is a story with all the elements of a bestseller, cash, cons, and Hollywood stars. And it was all caught on tape. Few businessmen have seen the career heights and depths of Peter F. Paul. I've been fortunate to spend time with some of the world's most celebrated figures of the 20th century. One of my idols was Salvador Dali. He had a big influence on the way that I directed my life. In the early 1980s, Paul, a Miami lawyer with a past criminal record, including convictions for cocaine possession and fraud, headed to Hollywood for a fresh start as a promoter and producer. After doing various projects in Hollywood, I decided after meeting a fellow who was a uh, out-of-work uh, model that uh, there was an opportunity for me to prove that I could cultivate a media icon. Within 18 months, I had him on the cover of People magazine. Ultimately, it led to my first meeting with the Clintons, uh, with Hillary Clinton, actually. In February of 2000, Peter Paul met with Hollywood charity fundraiser Aaron Tonkin. Tonkin was a celebrity-obsessed con man who in just a few years went from being homeless to one of the Clintons' top money contacts in Hollywood. Like more than a few Clinton associates from the past, Tonkin ended up in federal prison for unrelated fundraising scams. Aaron, it's Hillary Clinton. 
I just wanted to call and wish you well for this evening. It was a growing new relationship. I don't know where Ultimate would lead, but I suppose not in a good place because all the people that I met around them, that I dealt with from different events, have all gone to prison. And these are very close people, mainly to the president. Through Tonkin's connections to the Clintons came an interesting offer. In exchange for donations to Hillary's 2000 Senate campaign, Paul would gain access to Bill Clinton for business opportunities once Clinton left the White House. I had uh, become a very close friend of of the creator of Spider-Man, Stan Lee. And we had started a company together in uh, late 1998. I embarked on this effort to try to hire Bill Clinton when he left the White House as a rainmaker for the company, Stan Lee Media. A luncheon at a Spagos for 12 people who were influential in the community. And we also raised some money for Hillary. And at that point, I indicated that my plans were to hire Bill when he left the White House. She responded by saying that she would help if I became a major supporter of her campaign. In June of 2000, Paul agreed to finance what would be the largest and most lavish political fundraiser ever staged in Hollywood. It consisted of a concert, a dinner, and a reception. In my office on July 17th, I got a phone call from Hillary Clinton. Paul, who had a habit of videotaping many of his encounters with Hollywood or DC power players, says this tape is evidence of two criminal offenses committed by Senator Hillary Clinton. The tape seems to indicate Clinton's participation in the planning of the event, violating federal election statutes. I think that uh, whatever it is you're doing, is it okay that I thank you? I think it's tremendous. No, we know what we're having a good time trying to help out. Well, I'm I'm very appreciative. It sounds fabulous. I got a full report from Kelly uh, today when she when got. When Hillary there. says she's not sure about what she can or cannot say, is she admitting that her input on the event could be illegal? I think that uh, whatever it is you're doing, I, is it okay that I thank you? Hillary Clinton refers to Kelly. Kelly is Kelly Craighead, Hillary's senior staff assistant at the White House. Hillary's confirmation that she had been fully briefed on my progress and and that she would be involved on a personal basis whenever needed, committing a violation of the federal election law. I know I talked with Chair and uh, she was just great, just said, you know, she really was excited and I hadn't talked to her, so you had to have really done a good job selling it to her. And her reference to Cher being induced to contribute her singing services, all of them colluded to hide this from every investigation. All of the expenses that I paid for entertainment and costs of various fundraisers for Hillary were never legally reported. But what I discovered was because Hillary was involved directly, personally, and indirectly through her agent, Kelly Craighead, in conceiving the event, in soliciting the money to pay for the event, and then coordinating the expenditures for the event, clearly the two of them were violating federal law. Ladies and gentlemen, the chairman of Stanley Media, Stanley, I just want to welcome you all to the Hollywood salute to President William Jefferson Clinton. It was the biggest event ever produced in Hollywood for a president. 
Muhammad Ali, John Travolta, Brad Pitt, Shirley MacLaine, the Steenbergen, the Gregory Peck, Cher, Diana Ross, Patti LaBelle, Tony Braxton, Melissa Etheridge, Sugar Ray, Michael Bolton, Paul Anka. We had over 100 stars. The entire leadership of the Democratic Party was there. And it was, it was a magical evening. Just two days later, the magic was gone. The Monday after the event, I got a phone call from Ed Rendell telling me that the Washington Post was asking questions. The position that Hillary Clinton would take was that she hardly knew me and that I didn't give any money and that if I was smart in order to maintain my deal that I would go along with that. The Washington Post bombshell questioned Hillary's decision to associate with Paul, given his criminal past. The Clinton camp implied they weren't aware of it. I had been vetted six times. My house had been prepared for a presidential sleepover. And the president allowed me to put my name on 25,000 invitations. It's impossible to think that they didn't know that I had federal convictions, which anybody that uses the Internet can find within four clicks. Peter Paul was basically paying for the entire event, and he was held at arm's length. He wasn't invited to the White House, and they did not really want to interact with him. And I, it never really dawned on me, because I, I really didn't understand those part of politics and how it works, that they do a vetting process. Amazingly, the Clintons continued to solicit money from Paul, even after publicly distancing themselves from their newfound friend. On August 24th, a fax was sent to my office on Hillary's letterhead, the Hillary Clinton for Senate letterhead, by her finance director, David Rosen, asking me to transfer $100,000 in stock. And here you have a smoking gun document, which is on her letterhead, faxed to my controller with the wiring instructions to send $100,000 worth of stock. That's illegal. I became Hillary's biggest donor. No one made any reference to concerns about my credibility, my truthfulness, or my my ability to honestly do business. You know, Hillary has no problems with me as long as I'm writing checks. From there, the Paul case takes twists and turns no screenwriter could imagine. Stanley Media collapses. Paul is indicted on two felonies in connection with trading of Stanley Media stock. He's arrested in Brazil by Interpol and languishes two and a half years in a Brazilian hellhole of a prison awaiting extradition. She's never called me a liar, and she's never said that my allegations are false. What she has sworn to is that she can't remember some conversations that we had in detail. I'm not asking anybody to like me or to trust me or even to believe me. I'm asking people to look at the record that is undisputed and to come to their own conclusions regarding the suitability of Hillary Clinton to acquire the highest office in this country. June 9, 2000, did you discuss with Hillary Clinton supporting her campaign in exchange for President Clinton helping you in your business and concerns? Yes. Did Hillary Clinton pledge President Clinton's support for your business interests? Yes. August 13, 2000, at Barbara Streisand's home, did you talk with Hillary Clinton about supporting her campaign, provided President Clinton help you with your business interests? Yes. I've been analyzing polygraphs since uh, 1995. 
I attended the Department of Defense Polygraph Institute. I would say Mr. Paul has been truthful in his answering the questions concerning the issues administered in the polygraph. It was the most lavish affair of all. But her campaign said that it cost 400000 not $1.1 million, so that they could use the other 700000 for the campaign and use it to buy advertisements. Now, the question is, did Hillary know it was a mistake? Of course she did. Number one, she was there, and she knew it couldn't have only cost 400 Number two, she frequently urged Peter Paul to hold down the expenditures for it. Number three, after the forms were filed with the FEC, Peter Paul told her they were inaccurate, and Hillary continued to file inaccurate forms. And finally, the FEC investigated it and concluded it did cost $1.1 million. I want to thank Stan Lee and Peter Paul and Aaron Tonkin for their extraordinary hard work and leadership on this. The Clinton campaign ultimately paid $35,000 in fines for having underreported the cost of the gala. Aaron Tonkin says both Senator Clinton and her finance director, David Rosen, knew of his illegal financing schemes, including how he reimbursed celebrities who donated to Hillary's Senate campaign. They wrote a check where I told them to write it, the Senate 2000, from the invitation they received, and then I reimbursed them either one or 2000, depending if one or two people came. Senator from New York and former First Lady, the most experienced of all the candidates, was completely unaware of her finance director's dealings. Peter Paul awaits sentencing for securities fraud. He vows to spend the rest of his life trying to expose what he characterizes as Hillary's chronic pattern of corruption. Well, I think that like William Sapphire said in the New York Times, Hillary's a congenital liar. Even David Geffen, who was a supporter of hers, uh, commented on her facility with lying. So she can do this as publicly and in such a, a, a gross and unvarnished way, then imagine if she got additional power in the White House and what she would do with that. I can't think of any other politician in history who has shown such a disrespect and a contempt for the Constitution and the rule of law as Hillary. And, and I represented Richard Nixon's best friend, and uh, I knew Richard Nixon. And I'll tell you something, she's no Richard Nixon, she's worse. <laughs> One of her great claims um, throughout the 90s and in her present career as, sen as senator is that she'll say, oh, this is all old news. Well, it's old news because the Clintons are repeat offenders. They've been doing these things going right back to the 1980s. Senator Hillary Clinton has basically done nothing of note. Uh, she's not been a leader in national security. She's not been a leader on economic issues. She's not been a leader on anything. Is Hillary really the most qualified to hit the ground running if elected president? After all, she was first lady for eight years and now a senator from New York. Referring to her opponents, she said, quote, There is one job we can't afford on-the-job training for. That is the job of our next president. Woman from the state of New York, Hillary Rodham. 
Hillary says we should elect her president because of her tremendous accomplishments in the United States Senate. Well, she's passed roughly 20 bills. Let me tell you what some of them were. To commemorate the 225th anniversary of the American Revolution. To express our appreciation to Alexander Hamilton. To name the Thurgood Marshall Courthouse in Lower Manhattan. To honor the men's and the women's lacrosse high school team from Syracuse High School. To express the sense of Congress that Harriet Tubman, who died over 100 years ago, should have received a federal pension. But is that the legislative gravitas and qualifications on which to elect a president of the United States? Is she kidding? During her Senate campaign, Hillary promised to create 200,000 jobs, largely to benefit economically depressed upstate New York. And if you help me get elected, I'll work day and night to put this plan in effect for the people and children of New York. I'm Marshall Brown. I'm the owner-operator at GMB Farm. I grew up here with my father. We sold out in 1985, and I started back up in 1987. I milk cows every day of my life for 20 years. Agriculture is New York State's largest industry. I don't know if Hillary was told that when she got off the plane or not. Dairy farming is the largest segment of that. Three years ago, Hillary Clinton came to Oswego County. She said she had a plan for the dairy industry. Like all her plans, she never gives any specifics, but it's going to make everything all wonderful for us. Two years after she gave her I Got a Plan speech, the price of milk dropped to the same level it was in 1979, and I'm losing my ass. Senator Clinton's promise of 200,000 jobs for upstate New York was one of the most irresponsible statements she ever made. Because, A, it proved to me that she had no clue what was wrong with upstate New York, and B, there's no way the federal government can deliver that. Should she have made the promise? Oh, sure. That's what politicians do. That's what God put them on the earth to do, is make promises they can't keep. I don't fault her for making the promises. I fault her for making bad votes in the Senate against the very tax cuts that would have helped the state of New York. Now, the Bush tax cuts were the only hope upstate New York had of competing, and if New York State wasn't so burdened by heavy taxes, heavy unionism, heavy regulatory red tape, upstate New York would be doing dramatically better. Because I do have a plan. I have an economic plan for upstate New York to try to make sure that we keep our young people here, that they can have jobs in this area, they can stay and raise their children. Between 2000 and 2006, over one million New Yorkers moved out of the state for economic or financial reasons. Today, in the upstate town of Clinton, New York, many of Hillary's constituents aren't pleased with their senator. Well, we certainly would like more support from her in this area. I think every business would like to see more economic support. I think that uh, she's just a typical politician. Whatever the uh, survey shows she should be doing, she's doing. She tends to spend most of her time downstate. That's where the votes are primarily, and uh, sometimes we feel forgotten up here. She cares more about her consumers, her food stamps, her welfare programs than she does the American farmer that's producing the food. When the American farmer is eligible for food stamps, there's a problem. Which I am. As a presidential candidate, Hillary has made other promises that may also prove difficult to keep. My plan does not create a single new government department, agency, or bureaucracy. It is not a government takeover of health care. It is a public-private partnership that provides more choices. Her sweeping health care reform proposal comes with a price tag of nearly $110 billion per year. Ann is going to pay more. You are going to pay more. People with jobs will pay more. 
That's why she's so popular with women with needs, but not so popular with women with jobs. Hillary's first effort to socialize health care came in 1993 during her husband's first term. Widely perceived as a disaster, many say it provoked the Republican Revolution. I mean, certainly you have to ask whether or not she's learned a lot from that experience. It was a failure. She knows it was a failure. It was a very embarrassing failure for her. Where have you seen the government make anything more efficient and less costly and more effective by its presence? Where have you seen that? As I've said on many occasions, I still have the scars to show from what we tried to do back uh, in the first two years of Bill's administration. The effort to kill Hillary Care was really good common American sense. Americans uh, know a bad fish when they smell one. Everything Hillary wants for America is what Canada does for all of its people, any one of whom that has five extra bucks in their pocket comes across the border to the United States for health care services. I think it's worth remembering, uh, after her health care fiasco, the Clinton team put us aside. They gave us ceremonial duties thereafter. She was more like a Pat Nixon than she was like an Eleanor Roosevelt from mid-94 onward because Bill Clinton's professionals recognized she'd made a hash of the one big policy she'd been given. She was essentially out of the White House in 95, 96, and I know because I was there most of that time. She was visiting China. She went to 70 foreign countries. She wrote a best-selling book, did book signings. Then when the Lewinsky scandal broke, she came back to Washington and in 98 and 99 led the effort to keep her husband in office and in 99 and 2000 spent her time running for the Senate in New York. Many Americans believe our health care system needs improvement. But what is Hillary's solution? Hillary is really the closest thing we have in America to a European socialist. She really believes that government should vastly expand its efforts in the areas of health care and education, and she wants to increase taxes to do it. From 33% as it is now, up into the mid-40s and high-40s as it is in France and Germany. I'm going to take $10 billion away from a lot of these uh, industries, starting with money from the HMOs that are getting too much out of Medicare, starting with the no-bid contracts for Halliburton, starting with the defense industry that needs to be pared down and reined in. I've been very clear about that. And as she talks on the campaign trail, um, her purpose of government, as she sees it, is to remold society for the common good. The common good in this case means government. It means Washington. She wants government to be in control. She wants government to direct the economy. The other day, the oil companies reported the highest profits in the history of the world. I want to take those profits and I want to put them into a strategic energy fund. She expects to use the government uh, to, to become extremely involved with the lives of the people in this country because government knows best. So when she talks about nationalizing health care, she's not kidding. She's been at this now for 10 years. She wants to take over the health care system. What might Hillary's health care plan look like? Welcome to Yuma, Arizona. In my practice, about 70% of the care is paid for by Medicare, federal government, and another 20% is paid for by the state. So essentially, we're a very socialized medical community here. But with so much free health care available from the state and federal government, abuses are inevitable. 
One of my favorites is a patient of mine who was actually a drug runner. His book didn't tally, and to teach him a lesson, they blew a hole in his foot with a shotgun down in Mexico. Well, he went to the closest medical hospital in Mexico where medical care was free, and they were going to amputate his foot. So he popped up to the border, literally, and at that point demanded an ambulance, which by our emergency medical laws we have to supply. So we got an ambulance to him. We brought him to our emergency room. I asked him, I said, let me guess, this guy's insured, right? And, and uh, my friend said, oh, actually, he has Medicare. This guy's been wanted for years on four federal warrants. We're giving him his Social Security check every two weeks. Critics say Hillary's health care overhaul is not unlike what citizens of Canada or the UK now experience. Yes, much of it is free, but is there a catch? The waiting lists get longer and longer. You can wait six months to see a specialist. That's socialism. When you're standing in a line waiting and waiting, that's socialism. I'm thrilled that uh, universal health care is back on the national agenda. You know, as we remember back in 93 and 94, we tried to come forward with a plan. We weren't successful. I have the scars to show for that experience. Medicine should be between one physician and the patient, not between an army of bureaucrats and the patient. If people give their health to the government, what does the government not control? The federal government from 3,000 miles away is not your doctor. Hillary's health care is one of the few Clinton campaign platforms that contains specifics. But on other issues important to Americans, what does she believe? But on specific issues, I've come out with very specific plans. With respect to Social Security, I do have a plan. But personally, I am not going to be advocating any specific fix until I am seriously approaching fiscal responsibility. Do you, the New York Senator Hillary Clinton, support the New York governor's plan to give illegal immigrants a driver's license? I did not say that it should be done, but I certainly recognize why Governor Spitzer is trying to do it. No, no, no. You said, you said yes. No. You thought it made sense to do it. No, I didn't, Chris. It makes a lot of sense. What is the governor supposed to do? Do I think this is the best thing for any governor to do? No. Obviously, she hadn't been coached on. And if she's not coached, she's, despite the fact that she's intelligent, she is so uh, insecure uh, and so loathes the give and take of real politics that she just seizes up. And she sure seized up when those questions were asked her. Now finally, for the first time, everyone talks about, well, Hillary talks about how, oh, they were so mean to her, they were so mean to her. All that happened in that debate was that, I think it was Tim Russert in that debate, engaged in the old journalistic practice of the follow-up question. That's all, that's all it took, and you know, all... <laughs> Hell breaks loose because Hillary's asked to actually tell us what your position is. You know, it raises the question, uh, can you withstand the criticism in the way that any president has to? Uh, because there's going to be a lot of it for any president at any time, even the most propitious times. And uh, if you're going you're to whine about people complaining about you, that doesn't suggest uh, presidential stature or character. I can support the president. I can support an action against Saddam Hussein because I think it's in the long-term interest of our uh, national security. If I had been president in 2003, I never would have started this war. And if it is still going on when I am president in 2009, I will end it. I was one who supported giving President Bush the authority, if necessary, to use force against Saddam Hussein.
I believe that that was the right vote. If I had been president in October of 2002, I would have never asked for authority to divert our attention from Afghanistan to Iraq, and I certainly would never have started this war. So it is with conviction that I support this resolution as being in the best interests of our nation, and it is a vote that says clearly to Saddam Hussein, this is your last chance. Disarm or be disarmed. I stand for ending the war in Iraq, bringing our troops home. We're going to have troops remaining there guarding our embassy. We may have a continuing training mission, and we may have a mission against al-Qaeda in Iraq. There's one Hillary who says, I'm going to bring the troops home right away when I'm elected president. Another Hillary who says, I'm going to keep troops in Iraq indefinitely. One of these two women is lying. I think she did that as long as she thought that it was still politically advantageous to support the war effort. Once 2006 kicked in and the war became quite unpopular, at least for a while, uh, then she started moving to the anti-war position, reversing her positions, which she held only months before. Not because uh, her heart uh, was full of, uh, of uh, pacifistic leftist, leftist tendencies, because she thought it was the politically expedient way to go. Flip-flopping on a driver's license is one thing, but words do matter, particularly when they impact the lives of our soldiers and their families. He loved being a Marine. He looked me square in the eye and he just said to me, he said, Dad, he said, uh, Dad, what could be better, what could be more honorable than to serve your country? Uh, it was at that point where uh, he became my hero. In January of 2007, Senator Clinton visited Iraq. While there, she did an interview with ABC News stating, I don't know that the American people or the Congress at this point believe this mission can work. And in the absence of a commitment that is backed up by actions from the Iraqi government, why should we believe it? Because I was in Baghdad at that time, and we talked about that. I'm thinking, what the heck goes through the minds of our military that are out on those front lines, the Ramadi, the Fallujahs, out walking the streets of Baghdad, Hadifas, and, and throughout Iraq, putting their life on the line every single day and hearing something like that. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just so demoralizing. Robert Buzz Patterson served as the president's senior military aide in the Clinton White House. Distinguished service in the Air Force, including combat missions, and his regular interaction with the First Lady gave him unique insight about the potential future commander-in-chief. They see that when Mrs. Clinton says something stupid about the war, or Harry Reid says the war is lost, or Dick Durbin calls them uh, war criminals, uh, that is played immediately on Al Jazeera and Al Arabiya overseas. That does nothing to support the troops. Uh, all it does is embolden the enemy to believe if they can hang out a little bit longer, they win. It's very hard to believe her because you don't know what the next day she's going to say. And, you know, that's terrible. Everybody from a four-star general to, the, to a private understands what it means to be a leader, what it means to have moral backbone and, and discipline and integrity. And the military saw uh, none of that during the 1990s and does not see that any of those uh, attributes in Mrs. Clinton today. If we do pull out and we do not complete this mission, my son's sacrifice would have been in vain, along with the other fallen heroes.
if if a legislator does not like the war and decides enough already with this war, then cut off the money. They're entitled to do that. But above all, it's not up to a legislator to try to outguess the military strategists. That's not their job. So you say again, okay, well, she's flipping, she's flopping. No, she's not flipping and flopping. She's lying. She will not take responsibility for calling and asking our good, brave soldiers to put their life on the line. She will not take responsibility. Every Democratic candidate, they all want to just get out of Iraq, just whatever it takes. When the fact of the matter is that you can't have good security in Iraq until you've dealt with, at a minimum, Syria and Iran because they're the ones who are arming, training, and running a lot of these terrorists. The war on terror isn't the only issue where Hillary is trying to have it both ways. When it's politically expedient, Hillary campaigns on her husband's presidency. But when the polls say otherwise, she abandons their record. But she can't be as selective in terms of you know, cherry-picking and making determinations uh, that she's now suddenly the face of foreign policy, that she you know, shaped economic policy, except for the stuff that didn't work out, uh, in which case that was somebody else's problem or somebody else's fault. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard uh, a stunning illustration of my real campaign slogan. Buy one, get one free. This is as much about Bill Clinton as it is Hillary Clinton. I mean, for purposes of this election, it's one and the same. Buzz Patterson carried the nuclear football for President Clinton. While serving in the Clinton White House, he learned firsthand about the former First Lady's qualifications. When she was moving around the White House hallways and corridors, the, the edict was for us to avoid eye contact with her so as to preclude her from making exchanges like good morning, good afternoon, and therefore the, those of us that worked in and around herself and her husband would oftentimes dive into open office, uh, office ways and doorways to avoid her stare. Well, I saw her vent on her husband many, many times. In one particular situation, we were at a fundraiser. As we entered the uh, elevator to go to the top floor of this hotel, sir, Mrs. Clinton lit into her husband with every profane, poor little word you've ever heard in your life. And as a military guy, I've heard them all. The anger really took me by surprise, how vicious it was and how profane it was. And then, of course, we got to the top floor of the elevator, uh, of the hotel and the elevator open. They were holding hands and smiling and waving like uh, they, could, they could turn it on and off in a heartbeat. Both Clintons are well aware the war on terror could be the key issue in Hillary's run for the presidency. Both have been quick to fault the Bush administration for failing to prevent the 9-11 attacks, while absolving the Clinton White House of any missed opportunities. There were many times, 8 to 10 that I'm aware of uh, in the 1990s, that we had a chance as a country to, to capture bin Laden or to kill him, 8 to 10. And every, shot, every time we had a viable opportunity, uh, Clinton chose not to pull the trigger. You know, and I'm certain that if my husband and his national security team had been shown a classified report entitled, Bin Laden Determined to Attack Inside the United States, he would have taken it more seriously than history suggests it was taken by our current president and his national security team. Patterson says that's laughable. He says President Clinton was briefed by multiple U.S. intelligence agencies of al-Qaeda plans to attack the United States. We knew about the potential for the Nick specifically pointed to the possibility of using hijacked airliners into the Pentagon, CIA headquarters, and it also talked about New York City. 
Cyrus Narasta is the award-winning writer-producer of the ABC miniseries The Path to 9-11. Though his movie takes aim at both the Clinton and Bush administrations in the days and years prior to 9-11, Narasta says he and his film were targeted by the Clinton machine. There was a huge coordinated campaign to discredit the movie and me and get Disney ABC to pull or recut the movie. In the weeks just prior to air, Narasta's home address and email were posted on various pro-Clinton websites. I got death threats at my house. I got hate mail. And they set about basically trying to destroy us and stop this thing from airing. Intimidation included five senators led by Harry Reid sending a letter to Disney ABC threatening to revoke their station licenses if they didn't pull or recut the movie. You gotta understand, these phone calls, the threats on the internet, these bloggers, all of these people out there, none of them had seen the movie. This was all political spin and it was generated by ex-president Clinton from his offices in Harlem where he met with all of these bloggers to specifically discuss countermeasures uh, against the ABC broadcast, the path of 9-11, and how they could get it pulled from the air. Disney ended up cutting about three minutes from the over five hours of the broadcast. So I'm going to show that to you now. They have the compound surrounded. They know where Bin Laden is. And what they need to do is coordinate with Washington. So they're on satellite uh, phone communication with Sandy Berger, Richard Clark, George Tenet, Ed Al from Washington to basically get the final green light to go ahead with this operation. Our people are in place. Now, it's been confirmed that Osama bin Laden is in the building on the site. You are the national security advisor. Can't you give the order? Look, George, if you feel confident, you can present your recommendation to the president yourself. So if it all goes bad, it comes down on my head, like Janet Reno and Waco. The buck stops down the hall. Mr. Berger, sir. Yes. It's shocking that ABC would, would bow down to Bill Clinton on the path to 9-11. Um, it's shocking that Bill Clinton would ask. You can't imagine Walter Mondale doing that. I don't even think you could imagine Jimmy Carter doing that. President Clinton has said he never got that close to getting Osama bin Laden. But national security experts have said on the record that the path to 9-11 was accurate. The path to 9-11 got it right. That's why they were upset. We exposed uh, the hot button truth that they've been trying to bury for years. The $40 million project was a rating smash with nearly 28 million viewers. It later received seven Emmy nominations, but if you want to catch The Path to 9-11 on DVD, you can't. ABC Disney won't release it. Why would they pass up millions of dollars in DVD revenue? I think the initial attacks were really about uh, President Clinton's legacy. 
However, now, a year later, with the DVD being suppressed, I think it has become about Hillary's run for the White House. All I can say is uh, what the executive ABC told me, which is if Hillary wasn't running, this wouldn't be a problem. National Security Advisor Sandy Berger pled guilty to stealing and destroying highly classified documents from the National Archives and lying to investigators. I might say it seems Sandy walked out of the National Archives with some PBDs in his BVDs and some classified docs in his socks. I was surprised and astonished uh, when I learned that he had taken documents out of the National Archives, stuffed them in his socks. Uh, I have written that the only reason Berger might have done this was at the behest of Bill Clinton or someone of similar stature who wanted information or, you know, single copies of unique copies removed from the archives. The papers reportedly revealed Clinton's response regarding the Millennium bomb plot and Sudan's offer to turn over bin Laden in 1996. But because Sandy Berger destroyed these critical secret documents, the American people may never know the truth about these events or the Clinton administration and 9-11. The documents that he stole pertain specifically to the sequence in the miniseries that they were upset about. I believe they are criminally guilty of distorting history. There was a smoking gun in there in terms of what the Clinton administration knew about bin Laden. Sandy Berger had a mission. That mission was to go in and clean up history, clean up mistakes, destroy any evidence of uh, error uh, or culpability to uh, actions that led to 9-11. He accomplished that. He basically paved the way for her to move forward and give Bill a free pass. I mean, that's that simple. Sandy Berger was fined, lost his security clearance for three years, and was disgraced, especially in Washington. But he has resurfaced. Reportedly, Berger is now an advisor to the presidential campaign of Hillary Rodham Clinton. It's either that he's really good at foreign policy, which I doubt, or he knows something, or they owe him. And I think that's what it is. Do I think uh, he should be advising Hillary Clinton? I think he's a perfect candidate to advise Hillary Clinton. He's sleazy, he broke the law, he will do her bidding. Uh, he should be her chief of staff, as a matter of fact. Hillary is tough on terror as long as it's popular. But once again, the real Hillary Clinton remains a mystery. We went through all the speeches that were posted on her website, some 200 of them. and. There's no speech that's about counterterrorism or talks about the threat to the homeland. Whatever Mrs. Clinton took away from the 9-11 experience is now slipping away. Or perhaps she never meant it in the first place. But as far as I know, Senator Clinton simply has not wanted to discuss with clarity and certainly with uh, the kind of authority you would expect from a now senior member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, 
that we are at war with a totalitarian ideology. I'd like to see a president in either party uh, who is going to be honest about the nature of the danger and willing to stand up and say this is what needs to be done, even if it's not popular at the moment. She doesn't seem to have any instinct to be able to do that, whatever her high intelligence might be. Who is the real Hillary Clinton? Clinton scholars and writers hoping for an answer were shocked to learn that, despite Freedom of Information Act stipulations, after three years, the Clinton Library has only released one half of one percent of its records. This is the mentality of a tyranny, and yet the media treats this as if it's no big deal. It is a very, very big deal. We paid for those documents at that library. Much of our money goes into that library. It's a federally run operation. The Clinton Library is known locally as Little Rock's Fort Knox. Nearly two million pages of records covering Hillary's years in the White House are locked away, clouding her role in policymaking. Over 300 Freedom of Information Act requests are pending. Well, that's not my decision to make, and I don't believe that any president or first lady ever has, but certainly we'll move as quickly as our circumstances and the processes of the National Archives permits. This idea they're claiming now that, that um, oh, we're, we're trying to release them, we're trying to as fast as we can, but, but the library just won't let us release them. You want the papers released, order the papers released. They're your papers. A tendency of this administration from the top all the way to the bottom is to withhold information, to resist legitimate requests for information, to refuse to be forthcoming about information that is of significance and relevant to the jobs that all of you do and the interests of the American people. I think the American people have a right to as much of the public record as possible about Hillary Clinton. Those records should be released before the 2008 election so we can learn a lot more about exactly how much influence she had in the White House, what her positions were in the White House, and how she acted in the White House. Character is defined as what we do when we think no one is looking. By that standard, many critics say the Clintons are sorely lacking. On January 20, 2001, President Clinton issued 140 pardons on his last day in office. Those pardoned or receiving commuted sentences included cocaine trafficker Carlos Vignali and the biggest tax fugitive in U.S. history, Mark Rich. As much as those pardons reveal about Bill, an earlier pardon may have revealed even more about Hillary's character and her willingness to do anything to get elected. I remember the first Met game my dad took me to, and we were sitting at the very top of Shea Stadium. It was probably 1971. It was just a beautiful day out with, with my dad. You know, he loved the Mets. He loved his sports. That's one thing that I'll never forget, sort of being in the car with him and being at the game with him, just enjoying his presence. It was an idyllic childhood, to be honest with you. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better childhood up until I was nine. My dad was a very decent, honest family man. As a matter of fact, on that day, January 24th, he was looking forward to coming home that Friday, celebrating my brother's 11th and my 9th birthdays. It was going to be a big family event for us. Francis Tavern has an extraordinary place in American history. It's where the Sons of Liberty met. It's where George Washington bid farewell to his officers at the end of the Revolutionary War. And it's also the place where Frank Connor, my father, was murdered in 1975. 
On January 24th, 1975, I was working as surveillance on the west side of Manhattan, and the sirens started to go off. Just an endless stream of fire trucks, police vehicles going down to the southern end of Manhattan. A short time later, turning on a radio, easy to find out that there had been a bombing at Francis Tavern. Nobody dreamt that this was a daytime bombing of a restaurant in New York City in the United States of America because it simply was not the sort of thing that happened in America. The senseless bombing had been perpetrated by what was arguably the most active terrorist organization in U.S. history, the FALN. But in 1975, the FALN was a newly formed, previously unheard of organization that through deadly violence advocated complete independence for Puerto Rico. under rubble trying to get through and there's a mistake it really didn't happen that he was okay my mom says now that all she wanted to do was run she wanted to run out the door and keep running i remember i was a little tiny nine-year-old and there was one of the guys that picked me up and i was sort of punching him in the back not knowing what how to react to something like that joe this is the bissell dining room at francis tavern and this is the room that suffered most of the damage in the bombing on January 24, 1975. The bomb was placed actually just on the opposite side of these doors. Waiters and some of the other witnesses remember seeing somebody come through this door carrying a large duffel bag. Uh, he looked around the room. One of the waiters was about to approach him and tell him to, that he had to leave when he stepped back out apparently left the bomb outside. This was a typical FALN device. It was a quantity of dynamite, right. included propane tanks, which was one of their trademarks in building their bombs in the early days, and a simple timer, a wristwatch altered to serve as a timer to set off the device. So he knew when he placed it that essentially the people that he was that he had seen were going to feel the impact of it. Absolutely. He knew that he was committing mass mur murder, no question about it. Where, where would my dad have been sitting in relation to this table? I believe your dad was sitting at the end of the table here, Joe, uh, and would have been one of the first people hit by the blast of the bomb. Joe, the bomb being just outside this door here, when it functioned, much of the blast came, of course, through into this room, knocking down this door, and that shockwave would have taken everything in the room and just made missiles out of it. So you have victims that have pieces of glassware, pieces of silverware pushed into their bodies as a result of the blast. Do we know why they chose the time, the place, the day? The communique that they left said that they were trying to kill capitalist, imperialist pigs in Francis Tavern four died and more than 50 were injured it was a typical FALN operation one of over 130 bombings between 1974 and 1983 but on that crisp winter day at Francis Tavern no one could imagine what the future held for the murderous members of the FALN problem running for the Senate was that she wasn't a New Yorker. And how is she going to appeal to the specific ethnic groups that make up the New York State electorate? So in September 1999, right in the middle of her Senate campaign, she was approached by City Councilman Jose Rivera, 
really is a spokesman for the Hispanic community in New York, who gave her a packet urging the pardoning of the FALN terrorists. And included in the packet was a letter to Hillary asking her to use her influence on her husband to get these pardons granted. And two days later, they were. Freedom came today for most of the 14 Puerto Ricans who accepted President Clinton's controversial gift of clemency. Eleven of them, who describe themselves as nationalists, some others describe them as terrorists, were released from federal prisons around the country. It made no sense. Not one of the incarcerated FALN terrorists had requested clemency or had expressed any remorse. In fact, prior to that action, the Clinton administration had granted clemency in just three cases out of over 3,000 applications, according to the Office of the Pardon Attorney at the Justice Department. It was putting a political agenda of the Clintons above my father's life. Sandy Berger appeared on television a day or two after the pardons were granted, or after the clemency was granted, and stated that these people were not personally involved in violence. That's simply not the fact. In this case, these people were convicted of planting 36 bombs in Chicago. If that's nonviolence, then Mr. Berger's dictionary is a little bit different than mine is. The Department of Justice uh, received a memo from the FBI saying that under no circumstances should these people be released. The President of the United States, who had access to all this information, ignored the facts of the matter. You have to ask yourself, who benefited from this besides the terrorists themselves? In my view, that have concluded the only other person that could have benefited from this was Hillary Clinton. The Senate, on a 95-2 vote, later denounced President Clinton's FALN clemency. Candidate Clinton claims she is the most experienced. Her husband claimed she was intimately involved in his administration. And yet, Hillary said publicly she had, quote, no involvement in or prior knowledge of the decision. Obviously, she knew about it. Obviously, she asked Bill to do the pardons. And obviously, when she says she knows nothing about it, she's not telling the truth. How dare they? Um, my father was a decent, honest um, family man. And he was being forgotten or used as a political pawn by those people who didn't have his decency, didn't have his family values, and wasn't the kind of man that my father was. Two father-son presidencies in the history of our nation. We may be on the verge of the first husband and wife commander-in-chiefs. Historically, Americans have never been keen on dynasties. So it's worth remembering that a vote for Hillary is a vote to continue 20 years of a Bush or a Clinton in the White House. American people deserve to know that their presidency is not for sale, the Lincoln bedroom is not for rent, and lobbyist money can no longer influence policy in the House or the Senate. The problem with nostalgia is what we tend to do is you only remember what you like. And you write, and you forget the parts that you didn't like. So what John Edwards is saying uh, about outmoded thinking and nostalgia is really, I think, expressing um, a reluctance to turn American democracy, which is very, I think, meritocratic, over to two families. And Hillary Clinton would represent the past in that, and a continuation of, I think, a dangerous trend to electing people because of uh, how much recognition they have rather than their intrinsic qualities. Finally, before America decides on our next president, voters should need no reminders of what's at stake. The well-being 
and prosperity of our nation. We uncovered a radio show that Eleanor Roosevelt, her heroine, did in 1934. Eleanor Roosevelt was asked during the show, when will a woman become president? Her answer, when a majority of the American people have trust and confidence in the integrity of her. And that's the challenge that Hillary faces. It's been said, and I agree with it, that this is the most personal political choice that Americans make. We're very interested in their personality traits, their person that they could trust, that they would like. That's where I think Hillary Clinton as a candidate has great defects. She's not accountable. She'll never be accountable personally for anything that she does. And her personality is such that she believes that the end justifies the means, no matter what uh, those means are. If she weren't married to Bill Clinton, what is there that she has accomplished in her life that would lead you to believe that she should become the most powerful person in the country? Which candidate is most likely to be able to be successful in protecting us from the threat from radical Islam? That is the central crisis of our time. If she reverts to form, Hillary Clinton will likely be in the future what she has been in the past, which is a person, a woman, a politician of the left. And I don't think that's going to be good for the security of the United States. She can't favor. English is the official language of government. Has said she can't favor. 85% of the American people favor. English is the official language of government. I think there are a number of big issues where you'd have a very clear contrast. She favors liberal judges. 91% of the American people favor the right to say one nation under God. The bigger this campaign is, the bigger the choice is, the more trouble she's in. What will be important, though, and this is some baggage she has to deal with, is the idea of a co-presidency, the idea that Bill Clinton will be back in the White House. Because I think when he left the White House, people had, had enough. I can't imagine that Americans want to go back to, to the 90s and the country being dragged into this, this ugly, dysfunctional family drama. I certainly don't see Hillary Clinton as someone who can unify the country. Uh, President Bush didn't. I don't think she would either. critical time in this country uh, that requires leadership and uh, I can tell you uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, Hillary Clinton that I know is not equipped, not qualified to be our commander-in-chief. This vote comes down to one thing, liberty. Do you believe in liberty or don't you? Economic liberty, free speech, protecting our borders, uh, protecting our country from terrorism. The issue is liberty. On January 20th, 2009, someone will stand on the steps of the Capitol and raise his or her hand to take the oath of office. never underestimate this woman. We must never understate her chances of winning. We mustn't be lulled into a state of security and complacency by the newfound moderation that she likes to talk about. And we must never forget 
the fundamental danger that this woman poses to every value that we hold dear. You see, I know her. A coastal resort protected by armed guards. That was the private meeting place for Georgia legislators and corporate lobbyists. Now, who paid for it all? That's the big question. Chief Investigator Brendan Keith holds the powerful accountable tonight. Brendan? The 11 Alive investigators discovered an organization that gets money from lobbyists, gives it to legislators, and it's all considered charity. We found the fabled back rooms where laws are really made. show you what's behind this closed door. A place where legislators and corporate lobbyists have an equal vote. A place they don't want you to see. Um, you need to be credentialed. At we are credentialed. We are Georgia. We're Georgia Media. Are there legislators in there? Are there legislators in there? We are Georgia Credential Media. Over here? Please step over here. What? There's Georgia legislators here. Are laws being made in there? This isn't the state capitol. It's a resort hotel in Savannah where lawmakers are wined and dined as members of the American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC. What is ALEC? It's a, really a corporate bill mill. I mean, they're cranking out legislation put in the hands of legislators to go back and file it. Georgia Senator Nan Oreck would know she was once an ALEC member. What happens in these back rooms? There are votes taken that have the corporate folks at the same table voting with the legislators on what bills to pick. And that, that at its core just screams out inappropriate. You're telling me that in these rooms a corporation has an equal vote with a legislator on a piece of legislation. They absolutely vote, and the truth be told, they write the bill. ALEC bills come complete with blanks where legislators need only fill in their state name. Like the Asbestos Claims Priorities Act, this Georgia law that now prevents many asbestos victims from suing corporations matches the ALEC bill clause after clause, often word for word. The final vote was taken here at the Georgia Capitol. But the bill was first approved here, inside a Las Vegas casino at a closed-door ALEC meeting. Records show the three Georgia senators who sponsored the bill received more than $22,000 in ALEC scholarships to attend resort meetings the year before, during, and after the asbestos law was passed. This is money from corporations to legislators, but it's being filtered through ALEC, and they get a tax write-off? Well, ALEC is a 501c3 organization, charitable educational purposes. That's right. ALEC is an educational charity. The signature of Georgia's Speaker of the House, David Ralston, appears on this 2013 ALEC fundraising letter. He writes, your support of the scholarship fund is critical, enabling Georgia legislators to attend the annual meetings. Donations are 100% tax deductible and fund education efforts for legislators. Who's doing the educating? Inside that closed-door committee room in Savannah we couldn't show you, we saw the lobbyist for the cell phone industry seated across from Georgia State Rep Ben Harbin right before we were pulled out. Here we're credentialed to observe legislators here in Georgia, wherever they meet, to discuss laws. He's calling for backup. Alex Staffers had four off-duty sheriff's deputies standing by while we talked with the group's director of communications. Can we do an interview with you? Actually, no. Uh, Why not? Um, if you please turn the camera on. 
know, we, we can't turn the camera off. We, you know, that's one thing we don't do. Okay. Well, then I'd like to have you escorted out of the building, please. Okay. We, I'm a guest of this hotel. I'm actually staying here. You are staying at this yeah. hotel. So here's the question is, if Georgia legislators are meeting here, we're credentialed right here to see Georgia legislators making laws. Are they discussing things that could become law here? No. Georgia legislators are here participating in discussions where they're learning from legislators from others. So why can't the people who elected them see the process? This is a private meeting. A private meeting paid for by whom? By our members and donors. Our lobbyists, correct? No. Are you here for this conference, too? We met two lobbyists and a state representative from New England in the hotel bar the night before and recorded our conversation. Do you have to pay your own way? Well, I'm the state and I look for financial support. Right. Lobbyists to send us like a couple thousand bucks every so often. That gives me money to help those folks with. Now, on the other hand, we pay more to be here to help support them. I see. So the lobbyist uh, fees to come to the event actually help subsidize the legislator coming here. Are lobbyists correct? No. They're not lobbyists? The ones that we recorded in the bar last night aren't lobbyists who are here members? He signals to the sheriff's deputies. All right. We're, I'm a guest of the hotel, not, not sir. Not for long. Not for long. I'm, I'm here for okay. paying guests of this hotel, sir. We'll take care of that. Okay. Did we violate some law or something? I mean, are we violating a law here? Don't say nothing. One of the Georgia senators who sponsored that asbestos bill, Renee Unterman, told the 11 Alive investigators she later dropped out of ALEC, calling it a group of angry white men controlled by industry, not legislators. Major corporations like Atlanta-based Coca-Cola have also dropped out of ALEC. Wow, eye-opening to say the least. Do lawmakers have to report payments for travel to these kinds of resort meetings? You would think, Brenda, but in Georgia, the answer is no. We filed half a dozen open records requests with Georgia legislators, including the Speaker of the House asking for receipts and reimbursements to ALEC events. Well, today, we received this letter from their lawyer, your request is denied. Quote, the General Assembly is not subject to the Georgia Open Records Law. Huh. In other words, lawmakers specifically exempted themselves from a law they passed to make Georgia government more transparent. More eye-opening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, wow. This is just baffling. We'll stay on. Yeah, and, and we wouldn't know it had it not been for this no. report. No. All right, Brendan, thank, thank you. Mind-blowing. Thank you. The Declaration of Independence, a public domain recording for LibriVox.org, read by Jim Cadwell. The Declaration of Independence of the Thirteen Colonies, in Congress, July 4, 1776. The Unanimous Declaration of the Thirteen United States of America. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, 
that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained, and when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people, unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly, for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states, for that purpose obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. 
He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has effected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation, for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government, and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us, he has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is, at this time, transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages, and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us, and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably disrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation, 
and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Don't make the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom thought timer provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for time, tincture, and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International 704-875-8010 or online at thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its 
gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you are listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Adisk, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events. And today is September 7th, 2016. It is Wednesday, and uh, we have uh, Wendy Wilson joining us today. But first, let's get to the market report. Good afternoon, Al. Hi, Melody. almost forgot about you. Uh, you would have thought of, you would have remembered you me you soon enough. Remind, you would have reminded me. Well, I could have, if I knew, if I really knew you'd forgotten about me, I'd just hang it up and go play solitaire or whatever. Oh, you know. okay. All right. And no, that's not Hillary on the, on the uh, air today. It's just something took my, I had to cough there for a little bit. I see. Yes. Gold today is... A little bit of a pullback down 430. Not bad. 430 at 1346. Silver was down 30 cents a day. Went back down below 2019.84. Platinum was down 10 at 1092. Palladium was down 9 at 600. And $93. The USDX today was a little bit stronger, 0.12, 9497. Crude oil up 0.62 at 45.45. And again, folks, we're going to just be trending, I think, back and forth until, and and that's why I believe something is coming our way because these markets have just a light volume. Um, These markets have just sort of been, you know, trending back and forth, no direction. And usually when there's no direction, and particularly the, the paper markets, um, the direction that it usually takes is down. So we have the Dow down 12, not, nothing you know big. 18,525. The Nasdaq was up eight at 52.83. The S&P was you know basically unchanged at 21.86. Um, the 10-year yield. Oof. No, they just took it off my charts today. 10-year yield, 1.54%. That's still holding from yesterday. A little pressure on the euro, as expected, with the uh, our dollar being a little bit higher. And all the European and Asian markets pretty much flat overnight. So, again, um, 
You know, it's like everybody's just holding their breath, waiting for something to happen. I, I can't believe all eyes in the world are focused on our election, but uh, there's certainly a lot of uh, strange things going on, and we'll be talking about some of those things after our segment with Wendy Bill Wilson from Apothecary Herbs. Good afternoon, Wendy. Good afternoon, Melody, and hello, Al. Oh, Wendy. Do you have anything about- for coughs? Do you have any? Do you have any? Uh, got two customers for you, Hillary and Melody. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, well, yeah. If you want to calm the cough, it, you can use thyme. T h y m e. That's excellent for that. Um, if you need to expel any mucus that is, you know, generating the cough, then I would use lobelia to clear the lung in the passageway. All right, Melody. All right. Did you make a note? I think my sip of coffee will do just fine for now. <laughs> All right. All then. Well, let's and talk some water. About the... And some water. Yeah. Uh, well, Hillary does that, too. All right. So <laughs> European... Vodka. Vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it is? Okay. Oh. Well, it's I made from potatoes, so it's okay, because that's natural. Mm-hmm. Made from potatoes. Okay. Well, let's talk about the European Roundup on the natural medicine front. Uh, I reported on this in 2010 and 11 uh, when the European Union was rolling out some massive regulations regarding natural health marketplace uh, changes and specifically where herbs were concerned. So at that time, Europe lost the availability of 20,000 herbs because the European Union authorities declared them either unsafe or having insufficient study to determine safety. So the restrictions that were put on the herb industry overseas are kind of tantamount to robbing mankind of the benefits of the herbs. Now, companies looking to import any herb products into Europe, well, they have found this new maze of requirements to get their product approved. Products that passed contained far less nutrition than products sold in the United States. So the point is that if the herb contained a lot of minerals and enzymes, amino acid, and other nutrients, and they were above what the European Union determined to be market approved, then it would not get approval and you could not sell it there. So there's this You mean if they were particularly healthy, if they were really good for you, you couldn't buy it over in Europe. You could only buy them that were essentially washed out and didn't have much nutritional value. Yes, exactly. You're right on, Al. So there's been this pressure now in the United States to adopt all these restrictions going on in the European Union. And we've seen some hiccups. The U.S. marketplace has experienced, you know, the FDA changes with regards to the good manufacturing procedures uh, for the supplement industry. So we're going to take a look at what's going on in Europe, see what they're up to there, and how that could impact our accessibility down the road for herbal products here in the United States. Uh, But this plan that's happening that's, you know, coming to fruition in uh, Europe is not a new plan. The effort to restrict the natural marketplace, um, in fact, it's been, Europe uh, has been working on this for 40 years. So the European regulatory agencies involved have made uh, getting approval to sell herb products in their marketplace to be very complicated and expensive. Uh, For instance, if a mid-sized company wanted to um, find out if they could export, if they wanted to export their product 
they're going to find that the regulations are pretty ambiguous um, and uh, may require them to hire an agency that's skilled in maneuvering through all that red tape for the opportunity to even seek approval. And if they did hire such a, a company, it would cost them about $100,000. And there's really no guarantee that you would actually get an approval. There's no a guarantee it could be granted. So you, it would just be for the opportunity to apply. So all this regulation pushes the price of products higher and kind of out of the reach of some consumers. Now, one trend that I've noticed is these regulations in Europe have been creeping towards repositioning herbs from the food to the drug category. Okay, so um, when herbs are considered not a food but a drug, the European Medicines Agency will hand manufacturers a whole new set of guidelines. So the Regulatory Affairs Professional Society reports that in 2016, the officials of the Good Manufacturing Practice and the Good Distribution Practice and the Inspectors Working Group, all these people collaborated on a new draft of guidelines to remove the regulatory gaps for foreign importers and products made in foreign plants. So they're trying to plug the holes because they know Europeans, you know, they want some really good herbs. They want something that's, you know, worth their money. And so they're importing it for private use and uh, they're noticing. So they're wanting to plug up those gaps. Do you, mean, do you mean when you say they're importing it from private, for private use, do you mean that they're ordering it essentially over the internet, internet from, say, the United States, and it's delivered yep. directly to them, or are they going to retailers in Europe that are bringing it yep. in from the United States? No, the, the former. They're ordering it on the internet mm -hmm. from other sources, and it's being shipped directly to them. So the internet, the intended plan, I should say, is really to become what is referred to in their guidelines as, quote, global nature of supply. So these regulations um, are pretty far-reaching, Al, Melody. Uh, they're referred to in the documents as, quote, internal annex, and it affects a business in more ways than just changing the product label. It will impact the business's quality control systems, their staffing, and their building operations. Now, here's a quote from um, nzherald.com. It's, it's an online uh, newspaper overseas. It says this, herbal practitioners say it's impossible for most herbal medicines to meet the licensing requirements for safety and quality, which are similar to those for pharmaceutical drugs because of the cost of all the testing. Obtaining a license costs 161000 U.S. dollars. Wow. Just for one product, Al. What if you made a dozen or a hundred different formulas? Yeah, it becomes you know I mean? virtually impossible. Um, yeah. How do you make 161000 additional profit per? I mean, there's got to be a lot of money in herbs to come up with enough profit to cover that. And only a handful well, of people would have to be a big, a big distributor might be able to do it. A big retailer yeah. might be able to do it at the uh, average. Yeah, that's good. right. And so it's really going to limit your uh, selection, isn't it? <laughs> well, um, Michael McIntyre, um, he's the chairman of the European Herbal and Traditional Medicine Practitioners Association. And he says this, the problem isn't you can't get a... The problem is you can't get a license for many herbal medicines because you can't patent them. The implications 
are quite serious, end of quote. Oh, yeah, I would say. And, um, you know, and the thing is, is nobody seems to be able to challenge this. In the European Union, laws are passed with relative ease. Uh, so there have been over 1,500 laws submitted in the past five years with regard to the natural medicine market. And 80 percent, Al, Melanie, were passed on the first reading. Now, you know how legislation here in the United States goes, there's nothing passed on the first reading. There's amendments, uh, there's, there's changes, there's all this and that. And then they finally, you know, hone the document and then vote on it to make it law. So, you know, that's astonishing that 80% are passed on the first reading. What do you think, Al? I think it means they get all the bribes that can, the market will bear in the first reading, and they don't have to go to a second reading and a second layer of bribes. Right. And what it also means, there's really no longer any mechanisms in place for public opinion, you know, for people. Yeah. So um, the people of the EU really, they have to understand that the laws that affect them are passed in closed negotiations. Let me ask you this. mm -hmm. When you talk about the laws of the European Union, are you Mm -hmm. saying these laws are being made in Brussels and apply the deal with the the deal with the Arabs and the deal across with all the countries in the European Union? Or are laws being passed in Spain and other laws being passed in Germany and they're still being passed in individual countries? Well, they're trying to get these, you know, pretty much uh, blanketing the European Union. There's 13 Mm -hmm. or there's 12. There's now 12 countries in the European Union because England, you know, came out. So they're trying to get it, you know, kind of like a a federal, like a federal law is blanketing all 50 states here. That's what they're trying to do. Um, but, but the laws are put into place, and the public doesn't have a clue, basically. So therefore, uh, when the European Medication Agency's quality drafting group submitted some documents, and they decided instead of calling herbs foods, they called them drugs, and they required revisions and changes on the quality and testing of herbs as drugs, hey, there wasn't any objections. Yeah. None. All right. So pretty amazing, really. The Europeans have become so passive in their own way. They let immigrants flood in. They let laws flood in. That does. It's not evidence of a of a of a culture that's likely to survive a lot longer. Right. Well, you know, and we're also told there's some other important changes they're trying to come down with with regards to the way herbs should be tested and the type of quality that's going to be allowed in their market. Um, Now, I've heard from health professionals on both sides of the Atlantic, and the lower the uh, nutritional quality, the better the chance the product gets approved, like Mm -hmm. you said. So we are, um, you know, as I've reported in the past, there is an increasing ban on herbal remedies throughout Europe, and there is a growing anxiety that uh, these new guidelines uh, are going to be implemented globally. See, well, they had something a, called Codex Elementarius back a few yeah. years ago. Everyone was mm-hmm. concerned. Haven't heard anything about it in several years. It's Did that still just in die, or what happened to it? No, it's still in effect. Um, it's it's really uh, going to include everything. It's the food harmonization co- code. So everything you put in your body from water to uh, prescription medications to foods that your grandmother would make you is all going to be regulated eventually. Here's a quote from Dr. Rob Verkick of the Alliance for Natural Health. He says this, thousands of people across Europe 
rely on herbal medicines to improve their quality of life. They don't take them because they're sick. They take them to keep healthy. Wow. You know? That's, that's got to infuriate big pharma. Yes, it does. And that's what it is. They're competing with big pharma. So, But they're widening the net. Get this. Do I have time or am I out of time, Al? You have about, you have about 90 seconds. Okay. No, well, according... Well, According yeah, to some reports in, in Georgia over in Europe, 60, there's a 60% decline to export fresh herbs into Europe. So the European Economy Ministry is deciding how they want to handle the fresh herb segment of the market. And so um, Georgia over there may be handed a new greenhouse plan on how they should operate their herb growing business if they want to export their herbs to Europe. And uh, Europe... The European Union in itself is the world's largest market for herbs and spices, and it's managed by Germany and up to just recently the United Kingdom. So, um, you know, I, I think people need to do their homework and, uh, and stand up and be real careful what's going to happen here in the United States because we don't want a lot of that uh, forcing its way into our supplement market and then severely curtailing what we use on a daily basis to keep healthy so we don't need prescription drugs. Yep. I agree. I agree. Yep. Um, they're, they're out to run the world and not, not for the benefit of the people. Give us some contact information, Wendy, where we can get some more information. Absolutely. They can uh, visit us online at thepowerherbs.com, thepowerherbs.com, or call for a free product catalog for immune-boosting and organ-cleansing herbs to empower you. The number is still free at 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. As always, a joy. See you next time. Thank you, Wendy. Enjoyed it. Um, that was Wendy Wilson from thepowerherbs.com, 866 866- Two two nine three six six three. Bill Eddie and I will be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, Kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. 
to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. What's next, Melody? I just want to remind the listeners, we still have the special from yesterday, a Mint State 64 $20 gold piece, along with 20 Morgan Silver Dollars, VG Plus 1921s, for a total of 2016 That includes all your shipping costs and insurance. It's a great little package, so they can give us a call. You can buy one or 100 at one 800 well, we'll have to start checking a availability at 100 of them, but uh, uh, it might take a little bit of time. We have the Morgans, but those Mid-State 64s, we all know that uh, uh, supply and demand, there's always a limited supply on uh, the Mid-State $20 gold pieces. Give us a call, 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Visit our website, dgscoins.com, dgscoins.com. This is a great little package to pick up some of those uh, Morgan Silver Dollars. Uh, they're priced great. They're just a, you know, they're, they're less than a dollar over what a more, what a Silver Eagle would sell for. So a very good value for the Morgans at the Mint State, $64, $20 gold piece. And I just wanted to say one more thing before we move on. Al, Wendy always does a great uh, job in her reporting, but I just, I didn't want to correct her or say anything while she was doing her report because it isn't important. I think what she, what her other information was more important than, uh, but there are 27 members in the European Union. And uh, there's a lot of little countries, but we, we normally relate to, you know, the biggies, you know, France, Italy, you know, so forth. So Spain, but um, I don't relate to any of them, Melody. I understand. I doubt that you people. relate to much. <laughs> I relate to my computer and yeah. some of the news that comes over there. Sort of thing, but I'm I don't sorry. have a positive relationship with even the big nations. Of uh, well, I'm, I'm not against having a positive relationship, but they'd have to call me up and see. Well, you know. And, you know, if they want to do it, I suppose I go along with Another it. Another segment of the New World Order, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Here's an article from Phoenix Capital Research. The title is How I Got Mark Cuban to Concede that Central Banks Have Cornered the Bond Markets. Now, Mark Cuban is a billionaire investor. He's owner of the Dallas Mavericks and reality TV star from Shark Tank. Cuban claims that if Donald Trump wins the presidency in November, 
He says, quote, I have no doubt in my mind that the market tanks. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree with Mr. Cuban in this regard. I also have no doubt that if Donald Duck is elected in November, the market will tank no later than the first or second quarter of 2017. It could happen in the you know November, December this year. Um, the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't matter who's elected. The federal government and or the Federal Reserve have already pushed this country so deeply into a black hole of fiat currency and national debt that some sort of an economic collapse is mathematically certain, although the date is still obscure. The next president, whoever he or she may be, will not only provide or preside over a market collapse, but also over the Greater Depression. Now, according to Phoenix Capital Research, they, go, they say, seriously, let's cut the crap. Politics are irrelevant here. The central banks have set the stage for a massive market meltdown. Globally, over $13 trillion in bonds have negative yields. Some sovereign yields are, are negative out as far as 5, 10, or even 30 years. This has never happened before in the history of humanity. Sovereign bonds are, in the, are the senior most asset in the financial system. If they are in a bubble, everything is in a bubble. In this context, there is literally no such thing as real price discovery anywhere in the markets anymore. There are simply dozens of smaller bubbles, all created by investors reacting to the bond bubble. Goes on, gives us an example. He says, in Europe, we see our first corporate bond issued with negative yields. Yes, companies in Europe can now charge you for the right to lend to them. As a result, there's now a bubble in European corporate bonds. The bond bubble is the mother of all bubbles created by central banks, and billionaires like Mark Cuban must know it. Note that uh, Mr. Cuban doesn't even, well, I won't get into this uh, section on a debate he's having with Mr. Cuban, but he says central banks have literally bet the financial system that their theories are correct. And he's got a point here. Central bankers have devised an economic system based on theories that presume that you can use fiat currency just the same as just it'll serve every bit as well as real money. And you can run an economy on that basis. I believe that fundamental theory is wrong. It is irrational, unreasonable, and it can't work much longer. More to the point, the central bankers in their brilliance and genius have devised some sort of an economic system where literally they have not just bet the financial system that their theories are correct. They've bet your life. They've bet my life and melodies. They have bet your children's lives. They've bet your prosperity. You've bet your survival, your life expectancy. All of these are going to depend on whether or not these brilliant PhDs sitting in the Federal Reserve and or the European Central Bank and the Bank of Japan and wherever, that they're so smart they can run a system contrary to everything economics has taught over the last four or five, 5,000 years. Can they do it? I don't think so. And when it blows up in their face, they're going to say, oh, gee, well, we tried. Some of us are going to be hurt badly. And it won't be surprising if this thing goes to a worst-case scenario. I mean, it's not going to, it won't be merely a matter of being discomforted. There are going to be people that are going to die based on a failed economic theory, which I think is what we're going to see before this is over. Um, it's going to be a terrible lesson for all of us. And, uh, uh what can I tell you? Uh, but the article is correct. 
The bonds are a huge bubble. The bubble is inflated with fiat currency. It's going to collapse. It's got to. Why? Because the debt is so big it can't be paid. The bubble must burst when they finally have to say, gee, we can't pay the debt. Or if they don't say it, they have to, imp- they have to impose it. significant inflation in order to reduce the size of the national and global debt. Uh, the real size, it will be secretly, stealthily reduced by inflation. That's one way to get out of it. The other way is haircuts, restructuring, and overt admission that the governments of the world are broke and there's too much debt to ever be paid. What's that going to mean, Baldy? What do you think it means, Al? It means and people I that are exactly... holding their wealth in the form of paper are going to lose their assets. That's what it means. If you've got a pension fund that is that is primary, that whose portfolio is composed significantly or even primarily of bonds, you are going to find that pension fund wiped out. Same thing will probably happen with stocks. If you're storing your wealth in a paper format, you are going to lose your assets. We don't. It's it's a to me, it's as certain as the sun coming up in the east, All right? It's going to happen, but I can't tell you exactly what time. Huh? If you're smart, you'll get out of paper. That's what it means to me, Melody. Well, I can't. Uh, I, I believe it was Switzerland. They were either one of the one of the first who started issuing these negative rates. Yep. And if you even just think about it, I mean, you don't need to. Uh, <laughs> doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you can't have these trillions of dollars. And when they first started doing it, it wasn't trillions, and it is now over to the tune of over $13 trillion. It's going to end well. And yet you, you hear very few people talk about this. You have very few people who really even discuss what is going to happen and how this system, how this financial system is is literally going to collapse. And I think these central bankers, I'm not so sure that they're betting that, they're, that their theories are correct. Maybe they have gotten this, uh, oh, you know, godlike, you know, what do you want to call it? Mentality. Uh, that, they, that, that they can control everything. Where do they really know exactly where they're heading? They're just going to, they're all along for the ride while all of their buddies, all of the elite, they're able to control things along the way in order to, to finish it in the, in the manner um, that they choose or similar to the manner in which they choose. So, um, and it really, it doesn't really matter. What matters is you, the listener. And what you do to protect yourself against, because that's what you're doing. You're protecting yourself against the central bankers and their recklessness and, you know, any word that you want to use. Um, their malfeasance, their wickedness, their malicious, their malice, um, their indifference to your welfare. So uh, It's yeah. not a question of investing in gold say. It's a question of divesting from paper. Get away from it. It's going to burn, and it has to, although we can't tell you when. It might happen this quarter. It might happen next quarter. It might happen next year. It could happen five years from now. I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but I can tell you it's going to happen, and I can tell you that it could happen in a very short period of time. 
If it does happen, those of you that are hanging on to that paper dollars, hanging on to the paper stocks, hanging on to paper bonds, you are going to see the value of your wealth that you've stored in those paper instruments is going to be dramatically diminished. And that means if you're relying on that wealth to provide for your retirement, for example, or just to make the mortgage payment on your house or whatever, if you're depending on that wealth, it's going to disappear. And, and I know, well, a lot of thoughts are perhaps, well, you know, I'm not Mark Cuban. It's not going to affect me. These are uh, negative rates to central banks around the world. And, and is it, it is going to affect you, ladies and gentlemen. And it, and it will affect you more than it's going to affect Mark Cuban yeah. and any of these other billionaires. They're taking you for a ride. And they're using you, your wealth, your you know, you your, know trust. your trust. Your mm-hmm. trust, exactly. They've bamboozled you, mm-hmm. and if push comes to shove, they're going to come up with some cock and bull story about why this thing blew up in everybody's face. And in order to try to make it good, they're going to find that'll be used as an excuse to take whatever wealth you've got left. All right? They're not going to say, oh, gee, we are really sorry. We screwed things up, and we're just terrible. Sorry about it. Uh-uh. They're not going to take any responsibility for the problem when it manifests, and they will be looking for somebody to bail the system out. And who will that someone be, Melody? It'll be the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. And if you're smart, you can tell them where to jump. All right. And really, the only way you're going to fight, and, and you know, you know, I have to be careful how I say this, but the only way that you can really protect yourself against that also is by having something that's private. Having something that uh, is real. I mean, they can devalue your paper. I don't care what type of form in which you store it in, whether it be cash at the bank, whether it be stocks, whether it be bonds, whether it be, you know, gold certificates over in, you know, Timbuktu or wherever. You know, the physical gold is very important to own, and that's your way to fight back and to protect what you have. Well, we're headed for, I mean, we live in interesting times. There's no question about it. And uh, and I want to talk about that when we come back from our break. Well, we're uh, not leaving for another four minutes. So you may as well so? talk about it. I said so. <laughs> Frank won't turn, he won't turn on the, but he won't turn on the bumper music four minutes ahead of the break, Melody. And we got some other things to talk about. He doesn't turn it on four minutes after when we're well, late. let me finish and maybe I can get it done within four minutes. What I wanted to mention is also the Wall Street Journal came out and they started talking about the precious metals IRA and home delivery. And it's like, you know, it was, it was pretty much of a, you know, well, these people say this, these people say that. They really didn't take a side on this issue. But again, folks, you know, the Internal Revenue Service, it warns taxpayers to be wary of anyone claiming that precious metals held in your IRA can be stored at home or in a safety deposit box. I talked about this today earlier on a program that I was on this morning. And, uh, you, have to, and, and you know, you have TV commercials you know, of older people standing there saying, hey, it's great, you know, open up an LLC so you can store your precious metals at home or in a bank safety deposit box. And folks, you know what? 
these firms that tell you to do this, they have huge disclaimers. They don't provide legal, tax, or investment advice. So while you're there trying to prove to the IRS that you didn't benefit from any of the assets in any way, they're going to be there counting their money. They charge, what, 500 to to 1000 plus dollars just to open up these IRAs for you? So unless you have su- sufficient funds to pay for an attorney, sufficient funds to pay for a tax accountant, um, you, you need to be wary getting into these programs. And um, And it's very enticing. I get that. You think you have privacy. You think you have protection from the government. But what about the first case that goes to court against the IRS? It's a matter of time until that happens. And uh, I wouldn't want to be that person uh, to but be you there. Are, you're not, you're, just to be clear about this, we're not saying that you shouldn't store your gold at home or someplace that's easily accessible. I'm talking about IRAs. About IRAs. I'm talking strictly about the home storage IRAs that you have a couple of dealers across this country that are pushing this very heavily, and uh, and I think there's such huge loopholes and problems with this situation that a lot of people are going to get caught, and a lot of people will say, "Well, look." They're not going to find my gold. I'm not going to give up my gold. You know, they have to, you know, take me to jail or or whatever. Well, you know what, folks? What they'll do is they'll put liens on your property. They'll freeze your bank accounts. How do you provide for your family when that all happens? So, I mean, there's, you got to think about things. Well, you have to say, we live in in interesting times, and there is no absolutely safe solution, and you have to be responsible for your own for your own survival. But these, That's people, are get, or these people are getting talked into saying that this is a safe and uh, a legitimate program. And so you have to be very careful and look at the worst case scenario. What can happen? I don't recommend these at all. If you want your physical delivery of your gold, you cancel your IRA, you pay your taxes, you pay your fees or whatever, you buy your gold outright and take delivery. That's the only way to do it. When you're working with your IRA, forget the home storage. And I think we're going to break. I think we were going about 35 seconds ago, but you're right. We're Now we're going for sure. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Caesarstrom on Financial Survival, and we'll be right back. Please stay tuned. mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling 
with our extra strength pain relief formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Here with Melody Cedarstrom on financial survival. What's next, Melody? Um, well, we had talked about uh, Trump is saying that U.S. interest rates must change. Yep. Headline from Reuters. Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump said Monday that the U.S. Central Bank has created a false economy. That's a true story. And the interest rates should change. They're keeping the rates down so that everything else doesn't go down, Trump said in response to a reporter's uh, question. Um, we have a very fake economy, he said. And he's right. He means manipulated. You know, the idea behind an economy is, is that you and I will, between us, we will figure out what the prices should be for cars and homes and food and whatever else it is we want and need. This is what a free market is all about. You say it's worth $100. I say it's worth 50 Maybe we settle on 75 It's about price discovery in the free markets. In the manipulated markets, the government, in its infinite wisdom, has decided it will discover what the prices are and declare what the prices are to significant degree. Now, they're not sitting down and exactly saying the price of beef is going to be this today and be steel, but nevertheless, they are influencing the prices enough where they're essentially controlling the prices. In doing so, they deprive, they deprive us of the benefit of a free market. And we need that because... When you and I sit down and argue about what the price of something should be, we ultimately, insofar as, insofar as we come to a good conclusion, say, yeah, it really should be 75 bucks. 100 is too high, 50 is too low, it really should be 75. It means that capital will be properly allocated into that particular investment. Not too much, not too little, just right, all right? A little bit like Goldilocks. But the government says, no, we're smarter than that. We can do a better job of allocating credit and moving and, and capital and, and controlling the economy. And all they've done is mess it up. They have created something now that is so far away from a free market 
that they can't get back to a free market without collapsing the existing market. There's no way out of this mess. There's no easy way out. We're not just going to appoint some new chairman of the Federal Reserve and they're going to have some brilliant idea on how to resolve our problems. There is no way to resolve current problems without abandoning the fiat monetary system and somehow getting rid of the national debt. If we're not going to get rid of the debt-based monetary system, the debt-based economy, the national debt, how, how can we proceed? How can we continue? The end is drawing nigh, and Trump, he says, look, we've got a fake economy. Well, he's aware of it, and he also says that the interest rates must change. Indeed, they must. Why? Because we have we talked a little bit earlier in the program about the liability, the jeopardy, je, je, the, uh, the vulnerability that People having pension funds, they're, they're in jeopardy right now. They're vulnerable. Why? Because the interest rate's so low. You need 7 8% a year in order to generate a, enough return on your pension funds, your, the investments, the, the bonds in there, in order to produce a viable retirement when you finally decide, okay, it's time to stop working and live off, what, off the pension fund. But you're not getting that. You're getting a percent and a half, two percent. It's not enough. All right. And when they're arguing that if we keep the interest rate down, it will stimulate, it will cause more people to borrow. And when they borrow more, they'll spend more, and that will stimulate industry and we'll have more jobs and everything will just, will, they're saying we can lift ourselves up by our bootstraps, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps if we just keep the interest rate low. But while we're keeping interest rate low, we are ruining. The wealth that's been accumulated by people who have brains enough to, one, produce, and two, save. They're being wiped out, right? And you are all vulnerable, and all of us are vulnerable on this. This is a terrible situation. They are killing creditors in order to feed the consumers, and the creditors are the ones that actually are associated with producing product. Pie. You know, we use that thing, everybody gets a slice of the pie. If we produce more pie, we all get a bigger slice. If we produce less pie, some of us may not get anything. This productivity is a function of capital, and the capital is being destroyed by the government maintaining interest rates at, ex at irrationally low levels. And Trump is correct. Interest rates must change. And what he's telling me, at least, when I, have, I read this, interest rates may not change this year. If Trump is going to be elected, they aren't going to change. I doubt that they'll change the interest rates before Trump is elected. I don't think that's going to happen. Some people talk about it this month. We'll watch and see. I don't think it'll happen. I think, I think it'll be after Trump is not only it'll elected. It'll be after the election. Yeah, but even December. then, I think it may even be after Trump takes office. If they were to do this right now, if they were even after Trump is elected, assuming he's elected in November, on November, he's elected on November 8th or whatever the Tuesday is, he's elected and ta-da, then what? They're going to raise interest rates on November 15th or December 15th no. or whatever? I don't think so. I think they'll wait till he takes office and they won't blame this on Barack Obama. But the well, thing, the thing is, is, they'll raise it, we'll see some sort of a crash, and maybe they can pin that tail on Trump. Probably not, but they'll try to. Well, I think, I do believe the markets will fall if Trump is elected. I mean, yeah, I do fall believe if it. And if, if they fall, 
they're not going to raise rates at all. No, they won't raise rates at all. But the problem that the government got themselves into and the central bankers got themselves into is they can't raise rates. They can't afford to pay the interest on the debt. The national Those debt. bonds will have to, and Trump has even said it, oh, well, we'll just renegotiate those bonds. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I'm telling you, folks, there isn't anything that they can do. This, in today's world or economy, you're enjoying your jobs, those that are working and so forth. This is really the calm before the storm, because there isn't any direction in which they can go into. If we have 7 or 8% rates a year, a 7 or 8% interest rate, I mean, inflation will be running rampant. So that's the only way those rates are going to be raised, is while we're having hyperinflation, they'll do what they did before, they'll raise the rates, but in the meantime, they have to address that interest on the debt, and that will have to be defaulted on or renegotiated. I mean, that's all they can do. Well, so they Trump are between the rock and the hard renegotiate, place. renegotiate the debt. That means if you've got a hundred thousand right. dollars in your pension fund that's denominated in U.S. bonds, it means that Mr. Trump is saying, "Well, we'll just renegotiate." It means, that, means that your hundred thousand dollars will turn into fifty thousand dollars. We'll negotiate. We'll renegotiate. We'll say, gee, we can't pay $100,000 on that bond we owe you, but we'll renegotiate. And how would you like to take $50,000 instead? <laughs> and if you don't want it, then you get nothing. And right? that's the only We're way. We're going to give you a haircut. All right, you still lose. This is your pension. This is your wealth. It's going to disappear. And it's not only going to adversely affect you, it's going to adversely affect the the banks that are holding some of these bonds as collateral in their vaults. It will reduce their ability to lend money to consumers to buy glass screen TVs, new cars, new homes, the rest of that. Everything. We can't renegotiate the bonds and we can't pay the bonds. What are we going to do? We are darned if we do and darned if we don't. They'll give you a 7 or 8% interest rate a year, and people will say, I don't have to worry about it anymore. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to negotiate your pensions. There's $20 trillion sitting there in pensions and retirement accounts. Do you think you're going to walk away with that? Do you think they're just going to let that sit there idly when they are bankrupt and broke? I mean, haven't you learned yet that your money is their money? Your work is their work? I mean, doesn't anybody get it? Well, we're going to. And the, I guarantee everybody's going to get it. Yeah, they're going to get you know, it all right. They're going to get it they're good and hard. That's what's going to happen. They're going to get it good and hard before we're done with this thing. But you're going to learn. And you can either learn now when you have a chance to apply your learning and protect your wealth, or you can sit back and wait until the inevitable takes place. And when the inevitable does take place and everything crashes down around your head and you say, now I get it. Now I understand what those people are talking about. It'll be too late. There isn't going to be a market for your paper, or at least not at the value that you're, that you are depending on. So I don't know, you know, we are just caught in a, Again, darned if we do and darned if we don't. There is no reasonable, painless solution to our problem. 
It is the same reason why people are in the stock market. They're chasing the yield. Hey, whenever you chase the yield, you're carrying a lot more risk to your portfolio. And it's the only place you can find a yield. They know that. Don't you think that they manipulate? Don't you think Wall Street and Washington, they all work together to manipulate so they can get the most as they can? They trade your accounts so they can continue to create you know, commissions and commissions and get their little wheels going and staying spun. So, you know, was it what was it? Um, what was it? Yeah, last year, I think it was. I mean, the the. The bonuses for Wall Street, mm-hmm. you know, I and can't even giving us bonuses for putting up with their crapola. <laughs> we should be getting bonuses, and I mean significant bonus every year. We're going to give you an extra twenty thousand dollars a year, okay? Because <laughs> you're dumb enough to believe the crap government puts out. That's your bonus. Now, of course, that would only go to people who have over a quarter million dollars in their pension fund. And they're going to get $20,000 as a bonus, and they're going to have their pension fund reduced by 50%. So you get 20 to the good and 125 to the bad. Um, Merry Christmas, and the government is here to help you. Uh, what the government is here doing, the only way that any of this makes sense with is super low interest rates. They are trying to avoid a, def- a default on government bonds. Of course, that's it. That's, that's, that's the only yeah, way this makes sense. sense. They think they claim, oh, we're trying to stimulate the economy. It hasn't stimulated the economy. They've been doing this for several years now without much success. It hasn't worked. It's time to admit that that excuse, that rationalization, is invalid. If, if, if you're not going to stimulate the economy, what benefit can be found out of low interest rates? And the answer is government is able to borrow quite a lot of money at next to nothing. And they'll leave the debt for the children, the grandchildren, maybe you in your retirement. Hard to say, but the debt keeps rising and rising. And that's a uh, problem. You know? That is going to destroy this economy and maybe the nation. And some people say, oh, that's crazy talk. That's wild rhetoric and the rest of it. Yeah, it was crazy talk when if anyone even, no one even imagined that the Soviet Union was going to be destroyed. But what finally crippled and destroyed the Soviet Union? And the answer was a big, non-productive government that promised everything to anyone You vote for me, and I'll see you get a free car. No, a free house. No, a free mansion. We're going to give you everything because we like you, and you're entitled just because you're here. That's essentially, it's an exaggeration, of course, but it's essentially the idea behind communism. You're entitled. You just show up. You're entitled to have what everybody else has. They can't do it, though. You are only entitled to what you have earned and what you have produced. And insofar as we tell you you're entitled to, to consume, you are not entitled to consume. You're entitled, they mandated to produce, and then you get to consume according to how much, how much you've actually produced. The Soviet Union, the government of the Soviet Union, they went ahead and they promised people communism. We're all equal. It's all sounds like a great idea in a lot of regards, but it's stupid because it does not reward the producer. It only Promises, makes promises to the consumers, more promises than can be delivered because you don't have enough producers, and the whole thing fell apart. What's happening in this country? We have consumerism. 
which is just a variation on the same idea they promoted in communism. You get to spend money even if you didn't earn it. We'll take the money from the people who earn it, and we'll give it to the people who sit on their butts. What happened? The whole country blew up. And before they were done, they suffered a tenured, they suffered, suffered a decade of organized crime, violence, diminishing life expectancy. Everybody paid for that. We got into the free lunch. They, the communists promoted we would have a free lunch for all the comrades. And the comrades were dumb enough to buy it. And in the end, blew up in their faces, and they probably shortened their lives on average, I don't know, 10 years maybe during that period. Same thing's going to happen here if we're not careful or smart. Protect yourself. Protect yourself. All right? Get what you need to protect yourself against what is an inevitable calamity headed our way. I'm Alfred Adaskir with Melody Cedarstrom. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank the producer. Bye-bye. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. There never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too fast. In my dreams, I have a friend. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a ball. Money, money, money. obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866 229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the three W's.thepowerherbs.com. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. 
You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. PSA count high, half of all men over 50 have an enlarged prostate. You can shrink your prostate without harmful drugs or risky surgery. The secret to healing the prostate is to cleanse the prostate and the liver. Call Apothecary Herbs to ask about the Prostate Kit for a comprehensive way to heal and soothe your prostate. Educate yourself on how easy it can be to disinfect, cleanse, and restore your prostate glands. Call Apothecary Herbs for the Prostate Kit and successfully reduce swelling, inflammation, dissolve stones, and cleanse the blood to obtain the results you need. Money-back guarantee with every purchase. Call the experts in organ cleansing. Call Apothecary Herbs now for the Prostate Kit and empower yourself. Toll-free, 866-229-3663 or international callers, 704-875-8010. That's toll-free, 866-229-3663 or visit the web at thepowerherbs.com. One, two, three, resident herbalist Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. We're here to empower you. That's what we like to do here on Herb Talk. Thanks for joining us on the American Voice Radio Network. Magical engineer Frank and I got a great show. Uh, We're going to look into what's going on in the European Union with the supplement market because it could affect the U.S. market. Also, we're going to be talking about um, uh, some uh, hidden fruit. We're going to talk about apples because we got apple season here on the way and the benefits of that, and also um, maybe we talk about some tonics, right? You ever have one? Well, if you haven't, you might want to check them out because they're really great, and we're going to talk about the benefits of tonics. And uh, we have a quack report, but before we get into all that great stuff, big salute and semper fighter, righteous men and women in uniform, always lifting them up in prayer, as well as all of America. And I'm uh, hitting the knees and seeking the Lord's face and minding the time because it grows short. And I did bring my devotional here. And um, let me flip to the page that I was going to read to you, because I seem to have lost my spot. Okay. See, this has just been... Okay, here we go. I found it. I found it. Okay, so this devotional, if you haven't got one, it's kind of neat. I got one for Mother's Day for my grown children. And you can find this, I think, at Barnes & Noble, but it kind of is a synopsis of, you know, some of the uh, paragraphs. And um, this is a synopsis from Psalms 32, Genesis 3, and John 8. And it goes like this. In closeness to me, you are safe. 
and the intimacy of my presence, you are energized. No matter where you are in the world, you know you belong. When you sense my nearness, ever since the fall, man has experienced a gaping emptiness that only my presence can fill. I designed you for close communication with your creator. How I enjoy walking in the garden, uh, I enjoyed walking in the garden with Adam and Eve before the evil one deceived them. And when you communicate with me in the garden of your heart, both you and I are blessed. And this is my way of living in the world through you. Together, we will push back the darkness, for I am the light of the world. So I hope that energizes you and you get to getting and seeking the Lord's face, find salvation through Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the way. And without further ado, let's do the quack report. Thanks, Frank. Okay, first up in the quacker seems to be a cancer breakthrough. Uh, Scientists um, say they have uh, discovered the smoke detector of cancer tests here. They say simple blood tests can now detect cancer before your symptoms are even noticeable by regular modern medicine studies. So these were this was developed by researcher, and uh, this is British science um, in uh, the They've developed this, they call it the smoke detector test, where uh, red blood cells are analyzed under this test. It's a simple test done in a lab, they said. But what it does is they look for mutated blood cells because that's what cancer does to the blood cell. So it's a test that costs, you know, probably less than $75. And it can even monitor people that may be at high risk of getting cancerous diseases. Uh, So the test can tell if... um, uh, the type of cancer even, and, uh, and, uh, and before the symptoms even appear. So there you go. Uh, last but not least, in the quack report, uh, Florida residents being fined for growing vegetables in their, in their yard. Um, Carol, Tom Carroll and uh, Hermine Ricketts, they've been cultivating a garden for 17 years in their hometown of Miami Shores. Uh, But a new ordinance was passed that restricted vegetable growing, especially in your front or backyard. The couple uh, had to dig up their lush garden, and officials threatened them with a daily fine of $50 if they didn't. So now the residents of Miami Shores are kind of fighting back. They kind of liked having their own homegrown veggies. And so this ordinance is a problem with this new zoning plan that the uh, legal eagles have put through. It's a population of 10,000 there, and it's uh, an area located just north of Miami. So here in the South Florida region, um, people are wanting to cultivate, you know, their own fruits and vegetables for their own table. But according to the, uh, you know, zoning, uh, the new ordinances, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not to have. Uh, the attorneys are saying that it's not your constitutional right. Uh, to have a garden, apparently, and uh, so uh, uh, and the, the judge says that the city has a right to decide uh, what your front yard will look like. How about that? Uh-huh. Okay, and that wraps the quack report. Thank you, Frank. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about what's going on over in uh, Europe. Uh, what we have, really, is a European roundup. 
unnatural medicine going on. It's been going on for a while, but it's kind of heating up there. Uh, back in 2010 and 11, we kept you apprised on reports on what uh, the European Union's massive regulations were doing regarding the natural health market there, and in specifically what was going on with herbal products. Now, at that time, Europe was losing the availability of about 20,000 herbs that the, the um, officials declared as unsafe or having insufficient studies to determine their safety. And the restrictions uh, put on the herb industry overseas is really a tantamount to robbing mankind of the benefits of herbs. So companies that are looking to import their herbal products to Europe, what they find is this maze of requirements to get their product approved. So products that passed, um, uh, you know, products that passed the rigorous maze really contained, and if they did contain any minerals or enzymes, amino acids, or other nutrients that fell above the European Union determined uh, market-approved level, well, then it was determined they could not be sold. So um, there's been this pressure also in the United States to adopt these restrictions that's going on over there in the European Union. So they want the U.S. marketplace to kind of mirror what's going on there. But, you know, uh, and we've also seen some uh, recent issues with the FDA making some changes with regards to the good manufacturing procedures that kind of make people a little nervous uh, of what uh, is going on with the industry. So we're going to take a look and see what Europe's up to and how that might impact your accessibility for herbal products in the U.S. But, you know, this, this restrictive process is really a 40-year-old plan. Uh, the effort to restrict the natural market is not new. And, in fact, Europe, Europeans' track record is now 40 years in the making. So the European regulatory agencies that are involved have made getting approval to sell herbal products in their marketplace to be complicated and expensive. Now, for instance, a mid-sized company may elect not to export their products due to the ambiguously worded regulations that could require them to hire an agency that's skilled in maneuvering through the red tape and for the opportunity to seek approval. And such a hire would actually cost the company about $100,000, and there's really no guarantee that the approval would be granted. So all this regulation pushes the price of products higher and higher, pretty much out of the reach of most consumers. So one trend that I've noticed is the regulations have been creeping towards repositioning herbs into the drug category. So, you know, we all think, no, herbs are foods, uh, but they want to change that into drugs. And uh, all this regulation, uh, you know, is that when herbs are considered, you know, not a food source but a drug source, well, then the European Medicines Agency, also known as EMA, well, then it hands manufacturers a whole new set of guidelines. And the Regulatory Affairs Professional Society is reporting that in 2016, the officials of the Good Manufacturing Practice GMPs and Good Distribution Practice and the Inspectors Working Group have all collaborated on a draft of the guidelines to remove the regulatory gaps for foreign importers and products that are made in foreign plants. Some people say, well, that's a good thing, you know, because, you know, what if we get some things from China that aren't so healthy? 
Right, but uh, you're going to see in a minute. Uh, this intended plan really is to become what is referred to as the, quote, global nature of supply, end of quote. So these regulations are so far-reaching that they are referred to in the documents as, quote, internal annex and affects a business in more ways than just changing a few things on the product label. It impacts the company's quality control systems, the staffing, and also building operations. So here's a quote from NSHerald.com, an overseas news reporting agency that says, herbal practitioners say it's impossible for most herbal medicines to meet the licensing requirement for safety and quality, which is or similar to those for pharmaceutical drugs, uh, because the cost of testing is outrageously high and obtaining a license costs 161000 U.S. dollars for one product. Think about it. Let's say you're manufacturing and you got maybe 100 products. How are you going to afford over a million dollars in licensing fees? Yeah? Um, here's a quote from uh, Michael McIntyre. He's chairman, European Herbal and Traditional Medicine Practitioners Association. He says this, the problem is you can't get a license for many herbal medicines because you can't patent them. And the implications are serious, end of quote. I'll say, I will say they are serious. Um, and you know what? Nobody, nobody seems to be challenging these new laws and guidelines. In the European Union, these laws are passed with relative ease. Uh, there have been like uh, 1,500 laws that were submitted in the last five years with regard to this particular market, and 80% are passed on the first reading. Can you imagine? Have you ever, if you're familiar with legislative law in the United States, whether it's state legislators or it's federal, um, you know, things don't get passed on the first reading. Things are amended. Things are, you know, abridged. Things are, um, you know, addendumized and so on and so on before the final draft is approved. But here, you know, uh, 80% of their stuff is passed on the first reading? Uh, we know what that means. That means there's no longer any mechanisms in place for public opinion. Yep. So the people of the EU have to understand that laws that affect them are passed in closed negotiations. Laws are put into place and the public has no clue. They have no clue. Therefore, when the European medication agency's quality drafting group submitted documents called calling herbal extracts, quote, drugs. It required revisions and changes on quality and testing, and there was no objection. No objection. And there were, you know, significant changes made to how these herbs are declared when they get imported, even. So we're told that there are other important changes to come with regard to the way the herbs should be tested and the type of quality allowed in their market. And I've heard from health professionals on both sides of the Atlantic that the lower the quality, the better the chance for getting approved. Did you hear that? Yeah, they don't want anything real potent, you know, in the hands of the public, apparently. 
So as we reported before, there's an increasing ban on herbal remedies throughout Europe, and there is a growing anxiety that such guidelines are um, to be implemented globally. Did you hear that, U.S., United States citizens out there? So I think it's uh, safe to say that the European market brokers don't want natural medicine in the marketplace that competes with pharmaceutical products. Here's a quote from Dr. Rob Verkick. He is with the Alliance for Natural Health regarding the European issue. He says, thousands of people across Europe rely on herbal medicines to improve their quality of life. They don't take them because they're sick. They take them to keep healthy, end of quote. Wow. Yeah, the power to stay healthy is eroding away over there. And they're widening the net. Let me just say this. This was astonishing to me. According to reports from Georgia uh, overseas, uh, with many producers of fresh herbs in Georgia over there, there has been a 60% decline in the export of fresh herbs to Europe. And they report that the European Economy Ministry is deciding how it wants to handle this market segment. So Georgia may be you know, handed a, quote, greenhouse plan on how to operate their herb-growing business if they want to export their stuff into Europe. According to reports floating about Europe, the European Union is in itself the world's largest market for herbs and spices. You know, they don't have the growing season, that the sun they need, so they import a lot of that stuff. So it's basically this large market's managed by Germany, and we're told the United Kingdom, which was kind of a shocker there, and it's expanding its reach. So Europeans are of the opinion that their regulations are the equivalent of ethnic crookery. I like that quote, ethnic crookery. Hmm. So with regards to imports, some feel the authorities have shown partiality to some countries such as the Netherlands, France, and Spain because of the spices that they import to the European Union. All right, let's look at the European medicines because the European Medicines Agency has established the need for herbal monographs on the on herbal products. Now, we've if you've been listening to the show, you know what a monograph is. It's kind of a standardized, pre-approved recipe for uh, an herbal supplement. Okay, so they have established herbal monographs, and herbal products need to have documents which include an assessment report on the herbal reviews and any data that's relevant for the medicinal use of the herb. So this is kind of the equivalent of having scientific data on the fruits and vegetables before you can eat them. So the monographs are uh, dictated recipes for the herbal preparations based on the European pharmacopoeia. Now, I checked out the U.S. Pharmacopoeia from the Library of Commerce uh, uh, up there in Washington, D.C., um, Congress, Library of Congress, I should say. Many years ago I did that because I wanted to see what kind of herbal preparations were contained in the pharmacopoeia because, you know, everybody referred to it as some sort of big authority. 
And so I looked at it, and the recommendations on the use of herbal ingredients in this thing were so watered down and made so weak that the formulation was useless. And maybe that's the point, right? Having monographs based on the pharmacopoeia so you get worthless crap. Yeah, that's what I think. I'm just saying it like I see it. I suspect the European pharmacopoeia is kind of the same as the U.S. because most likely the U.S. adopted their version. See? So I think people are beginning to realize that all the documentation and the tests required for herbal products makes the products too expensive to manufacture for any business other than the pharmaceutical industry. So what a way to take over the supplement market than to, you know, make it too difficult for your competition to make a product. See, this historical, the historical data, you know, the generation and the ge after hundreds of years of use of herbs, oh, they're saying that's not sufficient. We're told that centuries of use does not qualify as plausible efficiency data. So, you know, where does the experience come in then on a practitioner who has hands-on evidential experience using herbs? It's not evidence. It's not efficiency data. Lord oh, have mercy. Well, here is a quote from Daniel Fabricant. He's the CEO of the National Product Association. He used to work for the FDA in the dietary supplement division. He says, dietary supplements do not claim to cure or midgetate disease and are, in fact, regulated just like other drugs. Supplements require good manufacturing practice guidelines and compliance with the FDA's adverse events reporting and record-keeping requirements, among other things. So people kind of fed up with the type of care that they get from primary physicians that is covered by insurance and across the board, people are looking for ways to stay healthy on their own, end of quote. So it's like an affront to you and to me that we cannot look after our own health and stay healthy. But regardless of being sick, we're not sick. They don't want you to be able to stay healthy. All right, I know, I'm a little worked up over this, just a little bit. So, you know, this is what I think. I think we should be prepared. People in the U.S. need to be prepared to fight for their right to their herbal products. Already under the oversight of the FDA with the good manufacturing processes, the GMPs, we need to keep an eye on the regulations the FDA wants to change with regard to your supplement industry. And it is your supplement industry. So we need to be aware of any staged media reports that would involve you know, common nutrition, common herbs. And uh, herbs, you know, have a record of safety that makes really the drug industry jealous. So if your herbal liquids are made properly, they will have a shelf life of at least 10 years. People are amazed at that. And if you have powdered herbs, if you, if you store them properly, five years, they'll last five years. Okay, so drugs past a two-year expiration are more toxic than when they didn't expire. Did you know that? You never, ever, ever want to take a chance and, 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 and use an expired medication, like, you know, an antibiotic or something. That stuff breaks down over time and becomes more toxic than its original uh, formulation. So you, you could run the risk of, you know, 
destroying your kidneys, taking stuff like that. Now, so I think really uh, we've come to this point where we're bumping up to the time that we, you're almost getting past the time that we can educate ourselves on herbal medicines, you know, to really know what we should do for ourselves. So if you want to get your feet wet and get, you know, the, the basics, uh, check out the Power Herbs ebook. Um, and uh, that way you'll learn, you know, what herbs remove toxins, boost immune system, reverse snake bites, that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, you'll, you'll be amazed how powerful herbs can make you. And that is most likely the reason. The powers in high places want to remove them from the market or, you know, replace them with, you know, worthless versions. So, uh, you know, for more information, if you want to order your Power Herbs ebook, it's just $14.99, and there's three different formats you can choose from. Uh, you go to thepowerherbs.com and check it out there. and uh, Or you can call if you want a free product catalog, you want information, or if you want to order some herbal products that are whole food, certified organic. Uh, give the folks at Apothecary Herbs a call. Their number is 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. If you're outside the U.S., dial 704-885-0277. And, of course, the website is thepowerherbs.com. Thepowerherbs.com. That's where your healthcare options just became endless. And don't forget, they got money-saving coupons on their website. Now, if you're on the website, you know, take advantage of the uh, free newsletters. Uh, They are there and there's no subscription. They go out each week and it will empower you with uh, enlightening information that you can share with family or friends. We need to come together and share information like that, right? It could mean the lives of many. Think about that. Herbs are here for the service of man. Who said that? Do I see any hands out there? Well, that would be your creator. And we all know God can't lie. So it's time we tap into them. It's time we know how to use them. It's time we share that information and help one another. And, uh, and uh, you know, skip the toxicity. Let's do that. I think medicine's good for trauma, but that's about it. Mm. Thepowerherbs.com puts the power back in your hands. That's important to remember. All right. I know it's almost time for a break, but we're going to be talking about some tonics today, and uh, we'll see if we get time to cover some other things after we come back from the break. But we are going to be looking into the health benefits of tonics, especially as we move into the winter cold and flu season, which is just around the corner. Taking a break. We'll be right back. life into the original medicine herbalist wendy wilson will be right back don't make the aspirin mistake 
aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3Ws.ThePowerHerbs.com. Your assignment is to find out what herb secrets herbalist Wendy Wilson has on Herb Talk Live. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand. Have a plan. Have peace and request your pandemic today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Herb Talk Live has your HMO, herb medicine options, coming up next... condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Thank you. 
That's some retro stuff there. What do they call that? Um, they, they, they merge disco with something else. I can't think of it. But anyway, it's very, very popular with my 20-something children. All right, we're going to be talking about tonics. Oh, techno. Thank you, Frank. That's the term I was looking for. All right, we're going to be talking about uh, tonics. Uh, you know it's a word? The powers that be doesn't want us to use, right? So there's a long history regarding herb tonics. So how did that get started? And why were they necessary? Well, every culture seems to have invented its own medicinal tonic and with the goal in mind, obviously, to restore, tone, invigorate, cleanse, promote general well-being. So the tonic ingredients were selected consisting of an assortment of plants, you know, herbs, of course. Whoever it was that said that, you know, the golden age of herbalism was from the 1400s to the 1600s, I think was mistaken. Uh, Germany and France never lost sight of their herbal healing roots as many other cultures uh, have not as well. So we're going to take a look at the pivotal role of herb tonics. So uh, what are the benefits? Well, many, in many cases, the tonics with the most power contain herbs with what we call adaptogen action. So in other words, the herbs selected will contain compounds that could read your chemical markers and adapt to your need within your human receptors. So it's also um, important to understand that it would improve the action of other herbs that were in the tonic and help stabilize uh, the metabolism. So the concept of the, quote, adaptogens was supposedly first used by the pharmacologist that was involving some drug tile, excuse me, some drug trials in 1947. So herbs with the adaptogen capability, have been thought to have the ability to help the body fight conditions like cancer. And modern science has been studying herbs to see how they are able to offer this miraculous, miraculous benefit. So they hope it may uh, lead them to some more discoveries, you know, why bacteria is able to adapt and resist their antibiotics. And most of the research on the topic of adaptogen herbs has been carried out in Russia, Korea, and China. However, more study needs to be done, you know, to satisfy the FDA's definition of a cure, you know, to treat or prevent disease using herbs or tonics. However, what scientists do, what they do know is that whatever the mechanism is inside the herbs, which decreases cellular stress on the body? Well, that's a big question mark. They definitely want to know. So research has really shown that, for instance, ginseng has the ability as well as other herbs to reduce your cellular stress. So here are the scientific and medicinal definitions of adaptogens that cover nonspecific remedies. Uh, this is from the Photomedicine 1999 uh, edition by Wilkman and Wagner, it says adaptogens increase resistance to a broad spectrum of harmful factors or stressors of different physical, chemical, and biological natures. So, um, you know, your immune system has an adaptogen uh, immune system cell. Yeah, absolutely. It's built in. All right. And also they said this, adaptogens are a new class of metabolic regulators of a natural origin, which increase the ability of an organism to adapt to environmental factors and to avoid damage from 
factors. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 not really new. It's something God created millennial ago, probably before the stars were in the sky, you know, but science is just now discovering. So they say it's new. Well, the Russians have by far conducted to uh, most of the research on the concept of plant adaptogens. Um, 1,500 pharmacological and clinical published studies by the Russians, and their research has boldly stated that adaptogen sources have been described as medicine uh, for healthy people. Wow. So there are a a few products today that state the adaptogen benefit. 1998, the FDA and the European Medicine Agency approved of a monograft on Siberian ginseng root as an adaptogen. Okay, enough research was dug up on that that they couldn't avoid it any longer. So the point is modern science and medicine has difficulty rationalizing the adaptogen mechanism in natural medicine sources. So herbal medicine all over the world has included herbs with adaptogen benefit regardless of what science now discovers or believes. So science may never understand the full benefit of your medicinal plants with their cellular transcription or an aptogen action. It's sort of like, you know, okay, fruits and vegetables are good for you. Science has to prove that first before it can agree to that. Hmm. Well, let's look about at the winter months, you know, because in many cases, herb tonics had a common use of being taking, taken either in the spring, you know, after a long winter, you know, spring tonics were a necessity. They used them to refortify the body, give it a nutritional, you know, a push, uh, anything that was missing throughout the long winter. So, you know, winter created a necessity for these herbal tonics. So before the 20th century, the human diet in winter consisted of dried meat, some grains, and root vegetables. Later, we discovered that Vegetables quickly lose their vitamins and minerals after they're harvested, so the herb tonics often contain herbs with high nutrients like calcium and iron and vitamin C. So the added benefit to the tonic was that it often cleansed the system while it supplied the needed nutrients. So herbs uh, like nettle, red clover, these herbs would sweep your blood system and help detoxify it. Other herbs like parsley or lobelia would act like diuretics and flush and tone the kidneys. And then, you know, the monks, they love tonics. They do. Up in those monasteries in the mountains where they're in the Himalayans or wherever they are. Uh, Now, the Asian monks love their tonics, and they actually sustain themselves on tonics. Uh, They claim that herb tonics uh, take you from disease prevention to optimum health. Yeah. So not only do they prevent disease, they improve your health. They give you optimum health. I think that's a great quote from the monks. Uh, The monks are the first to tell you that Western medicine focuses on disease prevention while their Eastern philosophy to health focuses on longevity, vitality, rejuvenation, and working with the energy your body already has on a physical and spiritual level. So Asian monks love American ginseng. They love astragalus root, 
because both offer that adaptogen quality. And ginseng is well known as a panax or panacea herb, you know, has many uses. So ginseng has uh, many saponins that are responsible for helping the body with illness. Lots of illness, you need some ginseng, especially if you're coming off a long convalescence, really helps the body, it gets the endurance back. So the Asians understand. Um, astragalus root offers immune support, can help uh, export toxins out of the body quickly. American ginseng with astragalus root together offer a synergistic effect. They offer stamina to the body and they reduce fatigue. And patients, unlucky enough to be treated with radiation, let's for instance, like chemotherapy for cancer, they find that astragalus root reduces the negative side effects of the cancer treatments that modern medicine, um, you know, doesn't have really any answers for there. Um, by the way, Answer Cancer Research Center, University of Houston, Texas, uh, confirmed that astragalus root helps patients get through the cancer treatments a lot easier. So what the astragalus root is become known for, it in also improves uh, sperm mobility for male fertility. Uh, so Asian monks will tell you that uh, use herbal tonics um, if you want radiant health. That's what they say. Eh. They don't need a monograph. They don't need all this, uh, you know, reporting and testing. They just know it works. All right, here's a little history lesson. Herb tonics, very, it's a very old way uh, that's been used to help the body heal itself. So Hippocrates wrote about herbal tonics. It was part of the traditional Greek medicine. So both Hippocrates and Galen uh, felt that the nutrition in your tonics was a superior approach to healing than therapeutic intervention. So if they were alive today, they would have an assessment, and it would go something like this. If you want something in the superior category, use tonics to build strength, vitality, and health. If you want something in the average category, therapeutic agents to influence your body function. And if you want something inferior, use your toxic drugs. Hmm. So aside from all the life-saving trauma treatments that modern medicine uses today, it really lacks the ability to cure or prevent disease. So why did medicine lose sight of its traditional holistic, vitalistic properties? Well, why did medicine abandon supporting and building the human system in order to acquire natural resistance in lieu of using stronger and stronger drugs and using evasive surgery? Why did they go that route? Well, the ancient Greeks can answer that. Um, the Greek physicians were very well known for their superb ability to teach people how to care for themselves to the point that the population became so healthy that the Greek doctors were out of a job. So the Greeks always treated the person and not the disease. And Greek physicians had such a superior reputation in the healing arts that they were usually the first professionals to be taken as captives alive so they could heal the invading army. So inorganic mineral drugs, toxic mercury, and the misuse of um, botanicals such as opiates, henbane, and belladonna were unfortunately adopted by medicine to offer the illusion of health. So later medicine added, you know, antibiotics, 
viral drugs, vaccines, to their list of disease treatments. Well, you got that right when you when you when you hear that they're treating you with disease. How does that sound? Well, the patented greed of the medical profession, you know, uh, has led you know to defects in our medical treatments, and it's becoming increasingly more clear with every decade. So medicines, drug therapies turn people into drug addicts or slaves to the drugs and tend to put them in early graves. Yep, it does. Well, let's look at the catalyst. You know, in the 16th century, uh, physician and philosopher Baraclesius, uh, he told his students to combine herbs with liquid catalyst to extract the nutrition from them, making the liquid the living bioavailable matter. Um, you know, so the, so all the nutrition went from the plant into the liquid, and it became more potent than a single plant alone. So history has proved that tonics overall furnish the body with, quote, live whole food vitamins, minerals, plant proteins, flavonoids, and amino acids. So the tonics help revitalize the system with what is called a slow infusion of nutrition, and it removes the cellular stress. So tonics offer a relaxing effect to your organs because it strengthens and tones the entire system, takes the burden off your organs. Now, your vinegar-based tonics are excellent for systems overwhelmed with yeast, They are also good for colds and flu, epidemics, chronic fatigue, immune system weakness, and digestive problems. So the best catalysts for herb tonics, which extract more nutrition, are going to be your vinegar and your alcohol. So glycerin from plants is really not an effective uh, catalyst because it doesn't extract the full spectrum of the plant nutrition, and it leaves the formula weak and incomplete. So some plants have multiple alkaloids, and they have to be captured for optimum benefit, and therefore a catalyst of vinegar and alcohol has to be used to make this a powerful concentrate. So as modern medicine attempts to manage drug-resistant bacteria, they often find that they must resort to other natural sources, for instance, hospitals that cannot stop the spread of staph infections are now using honey. They are also using natural antibacterial agents in the honey to destroy the bad pathogens and none of the healthy flora. Another option is liquid garlic because it's non-sticky for the same reasons. And mutating versions and bacteria may be immune to antiviral or antibacterial drugs, but they are not immune to the human immune system that is strengthened with natural medicines. So an immune system that is allowed to function and is supported with immune-supporting herbs, it helps the immune system uh, in the following manner. It will improve the neutralization of the infection with antibodies known as killer T-cells. It uh, speeds up the removal of pathogen debris, debris, so it removes the disease from the body quickly. It assists the immune system function, such as with fever and flushing out pathogens, It improves sleep, it strengthens, it gives stamina, it improves breathing and circulation, it reduces phlegm or mucus congestion, and it strengthens and speeds the overall healing process. 
So it's a strengthening thing. That's what tonics do. They strengthen. So if we remove the knowledge filter that medicine likes to place on things that it can't understand or approve, well, we find that God was truthful when he said herbs are here for the service of man. That's in Psalms 104, verse 14. So we may never understand all the secrets to what God created, but we are comforted that there is natural medicine resources used, and it's been used for thousands of years, that we could benefit from. So I, for one, I, will, I tonic it up. Uh, I overcome infections. I recover much faster than those on prescriptions. I do. And Apothecary Herbs offers the whole food immune-boosting herbal formulas, and they do have the all-in-one tonic, which is uh, pretty much the bomb uh, if you want to sidestep a lot of flu bugs for the winter months. They do have a nice uh, Nip It in the Bud 3 Amigos pack as well because it uses the synergistic effect of three herbs. And they do have a stragglies root and echinacea, and they have a pandemic kit and all sorts of neat things to give you power this cold and flu season. And, uh, you know, and shorten the duration of illness if you do tend to catch something or power up the immune system and just skip it all together. Yeah? Thepowerherbs.com. Never forget that email, that, that domain address, thepowerherbs.com. That's where your healthcare options just became endless. The toll-free number, if you want to catalog, is 866-229-3663. 866-229-3663, thepowerherbs.com. If you're outside the U.S., it's 704-885-0277. And uh, visit online, thepowerherbs.com. Sign up for the newsletters. You'll be glad you did. Completely free, no subscription fee. All right, we've got a few minutes. Master Engineer Frank, I got a few minutes. I'm going to talk about apples. Uh, you know, we're getting into fall, big apple season. I mean, there's apple, what are the apple festivals going on in Hickory, North Carolina here, I think. And, um, you know, people think it, you know, was the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. But, you know, apples have been a favorite fruit in the ancient Greek writing, the Romans, the Egyptians. Um, People think it was the fruit in the Garden of Eden. Um, but they have traced apples back all the way to the area of the Capsican and the Black Sea area. Um, the average American going to eat about 17 pounds of fresh apples, but Europeans eat 46 pounds a year. Yeah, we need to eat more apples. We do. Do you eat an apple a day for a year, you'll lose 10 pounds. If you have 10 pounds, you need to lose. It just helps the body, you know, get rid of the unwanted fat. Um, well, you know, it does have a cornucopia. Cornucopia benefits. Apples are great. Um, they're from the rose family. Um, and some, you know, everyday apple, you know, is, is fine. And the apple day keeps the doctor away. Well, if you get an organic one, it still has the nutrition in it, yeah, try to eat organic. Apples have uh, usually five seed pockets, and the number of seeds that are in each pocket will tell you how healthy that apple tree was. So when you cut open your core and you start plucking out the seeds, you can tell, wow, this came from a pretty healthy tree. Um, There's lots of apples grown all over the U.S. We have, of course, the Red Delicious. Uh, We have the Granny Smith. Uh, We have quite a few varieties. There's like 2,500 
varieties of apples. Um, and about 100 of them are mainly grown commercially. Um, they're fat-free, they're cholesterol-free, they're sodium-free. Uh, they tend to have about 80 calories, 5 grams of fiber. Um, and, you know, the U.S. economy, you know, needs apples. It really does. So um, October is your national apple month. Um, there's like uh, apples are grown in 50 United States here in the U.S. Uh, only 36 states, though, grow them commercially, uh, mostly coming out of New York, um, Washington State. Some come out of New York and Michigan, Pennsylvania, and California and Virginia. Uh, and there's, most of them are still picked by hand, which is good. And um, a lot of them are exported. Uh, but you're going to find that, um, you know, George Washington, he had a hobby of pruning his apple trees. And um, apples were known by the colonists as the winter banana. So... Uh, Big apple producers in the world are China, Turkey, Poland, Italy, and, of course, the United States. But here are some studies coming out of the Netherlands on your apples. They have more flavonoids and antioxidants than your vitamin C and E by about 50%. Now, Dr. Michael Hertog of the National Institute of Public Health in Biltoven found that patients that ate apples cut their risk of having a fatal heart attack by 50%. Do you have heart disease in your family tree? Well, I'd say get some organic apples going. Um, now, this was based on a study of patients that ate a large apple each day. Make sure it's a good size apple. The flavonoids, they said, help prevent plaque from forming, uh, lowered the blood pressure and cholesterol. Um, 1993 USDA study, uh, apples contain boron which is necessary if you want to have calcium in your system, an uptake of calcium. All right, so some of the folklore, um, the old folklore remedy, apples are good for diarrhea, they say. Uh, according to French, the French, they say it's good for insomnia, um, and it's a natural aid to, uh, to heal damaged skin apparently. Splash on the skin, apple cider, rejuvenates the skin, helps prevent aging, they say. Ooh, that's cool. I used to, like, you know, my grandmother used to, like, say, rinse your hair with vinegar and make it real shiny. It did. Made it really shiny. So there's really nothing more wonderful than eating a fresh apple. Benefits of all the marvelous nutrition God put in there. But if you have trouble eating healthy, um, you want to check out um, the Body Foundation Food Mix that the folks at Apothecary Herbs make, it's a powdered mix you throw into a juice or smoothie, and it covers a wide range of your nutritional needs. But also you're going to find um, apple pectin in their bowel cleanse product, which is good at toning and soothing the colon and detoxifying it. So you can check out the organ body cleanses and the body food mix at the PowerHerbs.com website. Or you could call and ask for a free product catalog. The number is toll-free at 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. But if you're outside the U.S., dial 704-885-0277 and request your catalog. And uh, get empowered. That's what it's about. Remove all those toxins that, you know, put you at risk of, you know, 
disease and uh, dying early, for real. Powerherbs.com. Yeah, and boost your immune system this year so you can stay uh, at work or at school and not miss a thing. Uh, and watch the sugar and alcohol. You know, October starts the sugar month all the way through February. This is where your cold and flu season really takes hold is because we're abusing sugar or we're drinking alcohol that converts to sugar. And it really does undermine our immune system. So if you intend to partake in uh, sugary delights or uh, adult beverages during the holiday season, well, then you better do some immune-boosting herbs. That's all I got to say. You know, one candy bar shuts off the immune system for eight hours. Thepowerherbs.com. Got to go. The information is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or seek medical advice if you dare from a licensed medical physician before using any product or therapy. I'm your herbalist, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, be well. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Studies have shown
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Good evening and welcome to the Covenanters Call. This is Pastor Mike Hoover, and we are broadcasting live from hot and muggy southern Indiana, and we welcome you to the broadcast. We are a call-in question and answer program. If you'd like to give us a call here this evening at American Voice Radio, that number is 1-800-932-1980. 1-800-932-1980, or local call-up number is 541 541- Eight two six zero nine five three. That's five four one eight two six zero nine five three. Those of you that are listening on the KU band satellite, Galaxy nineteen, transponder twenty three, frequency one two one one five. We welcome you this evening to the broadcast and all the rest that are involved. Also, we appreciate those folks in the chat room. Just a few of us here this evening, but uh, we encourage you to come on into the American Voice Radio chat room. It is a free service, and lots of stimulating conversation takes place in here. You can even post your questions there. I try and monitor it uh, during the broadcast, try and pay attention there. But uh, I encourage you to do so as well. Let me remind you, we'd love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. You can drop me an email, themuggyone, T-H-E-M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N, at cleaninter.net, C-L-E-A-N-I-N-T-E-R.net. Or feel free to give us a phone call, that number here, 
5578, and we would certainly love to hear from you. Special hello to friends of ours listening tonight out there in northern New Mexico. we got folks in Arizona up in Washington State and uh, other parts across the country, maybe even folks around the world. I don't know. But uh, we appreciate you tuning in to the broadcast. A couple of things to remind you of what's coming up, Lord willing. The 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of September, we will be over right outside of Edderville, Missouri, at the Faith Baptist Church with Pastor Shea Carpenter, where family camp takes place every year. This will be about the 10th year we've gone over there. And uh, preaching every night, activities during the day, great time of fellowship. Uh, men that understand the principle of the uh, unregistered church, the Lordship Church, and you'll hear preaching on it during that week. We're looking forward to being there. We're probably going to take 40 or 50 of our church folk with us and go over there and camp out and just have a great time. So if you're in that part of the country, uh, we'd love to meet you. Love to have you come up to the camp meeting there. Just contact me for more information. And then also, Lord willing, uh, the first full week of October, my son, Pastor Keith Hoover, from the Cornerstone Historic Baptist Church up in Union City, Indiana, and myself, We'll be preaching up outside of Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, for Pastor Ken Griesbach up there. And looking forward to a great time, be there Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday, and Sunday, and going to have a great time. So we would love to meet you and uh, have you, if you're in that part of the country, come in and uh, listen to the preaching. Going to have a great time, and the Lord just wanted to alert you uh, to that. I I like to begin this evening uh, dealing with a subject um, uh, that's so relevant in our day and time. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight. We're going to deal with a, a number of things. I'd like to share some thoughts with you from a friend of mine uh, along these lines, and probably we will share thoughts for a considerable amount of time before we're finally done. But I want to talk to you about tyranny tonight. You know, tyranny is a specific expression of the fallen human nature. It's author. It's author authoritarian, I'll get it out, authoritarian, there's the word, dictatorial, and despotic forms of government that have prevailed among mankind since the very first human government arose under Nimrod, the mighty hunter there in Genesis chapter 10. Governments since Nimrod have begun or ended as some form of oppressive craft often ruled by one man. Even God-honoring governments often devolve into evil machinations which destroy liberty and dissolve freedom among men. This fact is part of Lucifer, Satan, the devil's plan, part of his grand rebellion against Almighty God. I mean, after all, Lucifer, Satan, the devil is the prince of the power of the air and the ruler of this world. It is he who influences and directs all the kingdoms and Hence, the governments of the earth. You can read about it there in Matthew chapter 4. Tyranny expressed within human government as an operating principle, however, is in particular repugnant. God invented government. A government which manifests itself through tyranny is an extreme rebellion through its governors, kings or ministers or whatever, against God's plan and purpose for government. You see, friend, human government, invented and established by Almighty God as his ordinance among men, has been perverted by the devil through his human minions 
into a rebellion against God's intent for government to punish evil and to reward good. You see, in general, throughout mankind's history on earth, kings and monarchs and despots and dictators have ruled over men, committing evil and eschewing good. The tyrant, and hence tyranny, is a special breed of ruler. What the tyrant brings upon men is beyond the delineations of generic despotism. Tyranny is a manifestation, an evidence of the ultimate desire and goal and wish of Lucifer for all mankind. The wish of the evil one is the total destruction of mankind from the face of the earth. Well, then the question rises is why? Well, the paramount reason is because man is made in the image and likeness of Almighty God. A second reason is that Almighty God prefers to have all men saved so that they may live with him in eternal love and peace. Lucifer hates men almost as much as he hates God. He desires that men perish and go to hell. Tyranny abets this Luciferian lust to kill man. Now, to make more advanced his quest against God and his evil desire for men, Lucifer, Satan the devil, ruler of the kingdoms of the earth, invented tyranny. Tyranny is not so much a form of government as it is, as it is a process of the devil. It is a venue, a platform, a means by and through which the devil seeks to eradicate men from the earth. America is on the road to tyranny. This specific process, that is tyranny, insinuated... Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.